are you doing? I'm doing pretty darn good. Yeah, you look great. Thanks. Your background looks great. I mean, lighting on that curtain thing and yeah, it's just there's some real thought put into that. Absolutely. I'm glad that you appreciate it. Yeah, this is. <laughs> Is my background right nice now. nice see if you go like two feet that way yeah no this not as nice yeah at least this is blank blank's better <laughs> right? than this, you know yeah closet doors open right now that annoys me but uh i'm packing so i'm moving i'm buying a bus actually right on um my sister did that in the 90s yeah it's not like a school bus it's going to be like mm -hmm. one of those handicapped transport buses um, yes that's like boxier so they have way more headroom than a regular bus um, mm -hmm. yeah they're also usually i don't know the seats are already out of it so that's good cool but yeah i'm pretty excited it's I tell you, it's got as much floor space in it as some people I know in New York's studios. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they pay $2,500 a month for it, and I'm just paying $2,500 for it. So, Right. Even if it breaks down, I could have it towed somewhere and live in it. I can go to my friend Lynette's backyard. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, where are you located? I'm actually in Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls. That's right. Yeah. I remember. Um. I think it was, I had, I had an interesting experience in Sioux Falls at an open mic, not interesting, oh, yeah. bad, but no, oh. the, the mic was great. It was, it's a great story. Uh, yeah. I don't know the name of the kid. He's real tall and he has long hair. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, honey. Yes. He could be good looking if he wasn't an idiot. He reminds me of Crunk. Yes. Yeah, if you take his hat off, it's like the Crypt Keeper under there. Yeah. Is he balding under there? Casey, yes. Oh, I never saw him without the hat on. Yeah, I um, I knocked his hat off once. Just shave your head, buddy. I mean, he's young, though, right? He's an adult. No, he's 40. Maybe we're not talking about the same guy. This guy could He's an adult. He's a muscular guy, long hair, good looking. Yeah, he was supposed to be a baseball player. That makes sense. We probably, I didn't know he was that old. That makes the story yes, even worse. I was surprised too. Okay. That makes his behavior even worse because he was like maybe 38 at the time. This was last year. Oh. I was on my way to the uh, presidential comedy festival and uh, I stopped by because Skyler um, mm -hmm. is my buddy. So I stopped at the oh, cool. drill high and they gave me like 10 minutes and I just kind of you know, I'd been driving a lot by myself, I had a lot of thoughts. I just kind of was just mm -hmm. ripping with the things that I've been thinking about that were funny um, and not really had, didn't really have a plan. Mm -hmm. But I made this joke about how I, I can't believe he's 38. Sorry. I made this joke about yeah. how I, um, how male comics never hit on me and women comics are always talking about it. And I'm, you know, like, what's wrong with me? You know what I mean? Like, I don't right, know, right. be grateful or jealous and um but then I don't like follow it uh, I didn't follow it up with the second part of that joke it was supposed to talk about how I'm I've decided I'm grateful and like how awful they are and stuff like that and so mm -hmm. I forgot that part because I was high and I just went on to something else yeah apparently he went up after me and spent the whole five minutes talking about how he was gonna fuck me 
Well, Skylar had, <laughs> Skylar had pulled me outside to talk about booking me on a show, so I didn't hear it. And so mm-hmm. I go back in, and someone tells me, you know, hey, by the way, watch out. Mm-hmm. Guys, you know, and I was like, what? No way. And then, yeah. <laughs> not happening. And then um, I leave the mic, and I can't find my fucking car. Because it's at this brewery that's on the corner, and, like, it goes up this way, and it goes, like, it, there's three streets that go away from Oh, it. yes. You know yeah, that's about? books and brews, yeah. And I was sober when I went in there, and real high when I left. So I uh-huh. couldn't find, I'd never been there before. I couldn't find my car. So I go back to the brewery to see, because uh, I have to pee is the only reason I went back to the brewery. I had to pee. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I go in, and I pee, and I come out. Or no, I go in and as I'm walking to the bathroom, that dude is there and he's the only one there, the bartender. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. Because I had like, I had like had him, I was like, made sure he was distracted and had like snuck out of there. Like I made it. I escaped. Yes. You know, and, and like a bunny that's about to be eaten by a lion, but they get away. But yeah. I have to go back to the lion's den and I had to go back yeah. to the lion's den and there he was and I had to pee. So I had to go. And uh, I peed, and when I came out of the bathroom, he was coming out of the men's room, which was weird. And then I'm, I'm talking. I get to the bar area first. No, he was walking to the men's room as I was walking out of the men's room, ladies' room, mm-hmm. going to the bathroom. And so I get to the bartender, and I just asked him real quick. I was like, "Hey, man, this dude's not like gonna rape me or anything, right?" And he was like, yeah. "Not actually. I don't know him that well. I am not gonna vouch for him." He like when <laughs> he like his initial gut reaction was to say, "Nah, he's harmless," but then he was mm-hmm. like, "Nah." Uh, wait a minute he's a little weird i'm not gonna say that he is but i won't yeah. say they won't i'm not vouching yeah. for him and i was like cool peace and i tried mm-hmm. to get out of there right as i'm walking out the door he's like hey helen and i'm like Ugh. yeah and then i'm walking and i'm just trying to find my car and he's just like boo, 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 boo. and he's like what are you doing and i was like i'm trying to find my fucking car i can't find my car and he's like well my car is right over there and I was like, I don't care if your cars are there. I don't need to drive around to find my car. It's mm-hmm. here. I walked here. I don't need to get in your car to go find it. That makes sense to me later as to why he said that. But then yeah. we're walking and he is just, he's walking with me and I'm just looking for my car. And I was like, he just keeps trying. And I'm like, dude, look, I am absolutely under no circumstances going to have sex with you. I was like very clear mm-hmm. with it. And he just, it yeah. wasn't, I wasn't scared because I'm me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and but I could see how like somebody that, that isn't me, like a woman could be very scared in the situation. It's a city yeah. I don't know. I am lost in that city. This dude is much larger than I am. He's very yes. muscular. Um, but I mean, I was, I don't know. I, I don't know why I wasn't scared. I was high and I fucking was looking for my car and I tend to fucking, I don't know, just probably not as cautious as I should be, but yeah, you know, I'm 42 and I've managed to. Right. But um, anyway, I could tell that he was, I don't know, I felt like, I didn't feel like he was a threat. He was mm-hmm. annoying, but I didn't feel like he was a threat. And so, um, cause he was just so stupid with it. And yeah. Like, guy's just a fucking idiot. I honestly think he's just an idiot and he doesn't get oh, it. Oh yeah. He just doesn't get it. And so we're walking and, um, especially if he's 38, we're yeah. walking and we finally find my car and I was like, all right, dude, see you later. And I'm walking to my car and he's like, so we're going to fuck in your car or mine. I said, I'm 38 years old. Or I was like, I'm 40. I was like 40. 40 years old. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm 40 years old. I, I don't fucking cars. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? So that's why he said, my car's right there. He's like, we can go fuck over there. But like, what are you talking about? And so, um, maybe I said something about fucking in cars in my set. I don't know. But, and so as I'm getting in my car, when I'm like, no, 
I'm too old. I'm not going to fuck in a car. Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm just saying, I'd show you my dick if you wanted to see it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm good, dude. I'm good, dude. Thanks. And I got in the car. Yeah, he's an issue. And then we went to an arcade bar and Skyler mm -hmm. was there with his girlfriend. And, this, and the guy showed up. Yeah. And I was like telling them the whole story. They were like, oh my fucking God, he's so obnoxious. He's got to stop this. Women aren't going to want to start, stop. Like if I was yeah. a female comic just traveling through and didn't know Skylar, right. that would be my impression of your scene. Yeah. And you know what? I have brought this up before with the fellas, with the, you know, the Skylar and the Nathan and the, all I of them. Out the mics. That's what I'm saying. And, um, you know, it was, I, you know, went off on them one time about him, like, listen, like, this is like, and not just him, but other guys have come and been absolutely disgusting and not in a funny way, in a violent kind of scary way. I mean, I told him, no, I didn't want to have sex with him 15 times. We were walking around for a good 10 minutes. It was 10 minutes right. of me telling him that I did not want to have sex with him repeatedly with no uncertain terms. I was not, I, I was never in the slightest bit because i know like i wasn't laughing and being like oh yeah you know i was yeah. straight up like no yeah and, you know it was there was no way he could doubt that i had no desire to have sex with him yes so and he just kept going even yeah. to the very end and then yeah. they distracted him thankfully and i got out of there crazy but, but yeah, it shouldn't get to that point, and that guy shouldn't still be hanging out, which is what I've said a few times. No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't be allowed to come hang out with us. I would not, I wouldn't ban him from mics. If mm -hmm. that my experience would get, would, I would ban him from that mic if he yeah. did to a woman after a mic. Yes. But, because it's not harmless. It's not harmless. Uh, it, it, it does make, it does make, I mean, like I have friends in Sioux Falls so, but yeah, it does make me, that's the story I'm running around telling about Sioux Falls too. And I talk, not, this is going to sound real fucking cocky, but I talk <laughs> to a lot of people, you know, and if Sioux Falls comes up, that's my Sioux Falls story. That's the only yeah. Sioux Falls story I have. I did yeah. really well. I killed at that mic. It was really, it was a really good time. That mm -hmm. would be my story if it wasn't for that fucking dude. Yep. But my story is that this is, that I couldn't even believe it was happening in 2019. It was. Yeah. I was shocked. Yeah. I was shocked. And then I was shocked that I was shocked. You know, I was just like, well, that's Sioux Falls for you, which it's not. And I'm new here. I just moved here uh, almost two years ago from Tampa. And so like, I'm used to that whole Latino machismo, all of that, a, eh? you know, mommy, mommy stuff. And that's fine. But it's different when some dude's like following you down if the street. I told if those guys, I mean, yeah, I, my ex is Hispanic and, um, I went through like, you know, I like Hispanic men mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, I like, I like all, I like everybody. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do like, I do like Hispanic men like to look at, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he, there was a lot of that in, in his life and his family and stuff. But if I straight up told them no, mm -hmm they would laugh and be like, all right, mama, I'll get you next time. And right, right. leave me alone. Yeah. They'd still hit on me next time they saw me. Right. But they're like, oh, okay. She's had enough now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, it'd be better if they just did it at all, or at least did it again after you told them no, but, but there are, but there's a lot of, um, you always hear these old stories about these old guys that married their wife and they were like, yeah, she hated me. She wanted nothing to do with me. And she's mm -hmm. like, I don't know. He just didn't give up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, was she like straight up? No, I fucking hate you. Go away. Like, mm -hmm. how would you keep trying to date her then? Yeah. I, and how did that side turn? You know, I don't know. It must work for him occasionally. Or why don't he keep trying? I don't know, man. Because um, it's not just you that he's done that to. He's never done it to me because I, I heard that he was like that. So I tried to make him really uncomfortable the first time I met him. So I was like overtly, you know, yeah. that way. So I'm, and he was like kind of creeped out and I was like, oh, I did it. So sometimes that works with those guys. I mean, and he used my comedy against me, which is not a that good, is not cool. a terrible way to hit on a female comment. Yes to say, hey, you said comedians don't want to fuck you. I want to fuck you. I want to fuck. Yeah. Because um, that makes me not want to tell that joke. Because then I'm like, yeah, I don't want people coming up to me and telling me they want to fuck me. Mm -hmm. But there is a second part to that joke. But I don't think he would have heard the second part, so it didn't matter. I think he would have just fixated on that first part. Yeah. But because um, he's an idiot. So, um, but yeah, I don't... Um, I don't dislike Sioux Falls. I don't really know anything about it. That's my first, that's my only experience in Sioux Falls. The Mike really yeah. well. I love Skyler. I've had him down to Wichita. I met him. They were coming through Wichita with Dan. Mm -hmm. um, Dan Skyler and I can't remember her new name because it was different than, uh, she's trans, so she was not transitioning. Natalia? Oh, Natalie? Natalie, there we go. I didn't yeah. want to say I didn't want to say the wrong name. Uh, <laughs> that was the only name vocabularyous on Sunday. I love her. Mm -hmm. I have a pair of her socks. They stayed at my house. <laughs> we'll eventually uh -huh. get the art of comedy, actual things we're supposed to be talking about. But um, she she stayed at my house with Skyler and with Dan. And when I originally offered them, like when the show was set up. I said, yeah, you can stay with me. I have plenty of space. Well, I moved to a much like way smaller place. It wasn't even big enough for me and my family. And um, I didn't know Skylar was so big. But <laughs> it, when I was looking at their pictures, I thought Skylar was short and Dan was tall. And then I meet them and I'm like, holy shit, I don't know if you're going to fit in my house, dude. We made it work. I had a fold-out couch and a, and a trundle bed thing. And so we made it work. Uh, Dan got the good bed because he did the driving. but. Uh, Natalie left a pair of her socks. They're her favorite socks, mm -hmm. like her lucky socks. I still have them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, you know, she works at that museum. So I thought about like just sending them there. Um, but I want to hold on to them. So, because I know I'll see her again someday. And I want to be yeah, like, yeah. here's your socks. I kept yeah. them out for you. I wore them a couple times because they're super cool. I mended that <laughs> hole in the toe for you. Here you go, you know, and so I love those guys, but two of them moved away and they're probably, you know, it's just, uh, it's a, probably a good scene to get started in, but it, you know, like Wichita. Yeah. Good scene to get started in, but it's not somewhere you make a career, but yeah. if that's your thing. But, um, so I think this is a good point to actually get into what we're talking about. Um, sure. I'd like to start out with, uh, 
just like your origin story like are you like how long you were doing comedy or improv or whatever you do and like like what's your story man <laughs> you know i grew up on uh monty python and uh red dwarf and snl and shit like that and my um family is full of uh, people who are mentally ill and so we tend to deal with those things through comedy yeah. and if you um my mother was very witty and my two older sisters very witty and very intelligent and if you could not keep up with them and their jokes then you did not get to be a part of the conversation yeah my so, family we're we probably are mentally i don't know we don't get diagnosed but we don't talk about bad things so yeah. we, uh, we make jokes about bad things and mm -hmm. then also we roast each other and yes um, I was the weakest link in the family and they would gang up like my mom, like my brother Randall would roast me and then my mom would laugh and then she'd join in and my dad would join in if yeah. he was home. And then if my br brother, like they, I would have all four of them roasting and making fun of me. And, uh, I could never keep up with my brother Randall. I could never, I could never beat him. Mm -hmm. And now that I, since I started comedy, I can beat him now. Yeah. So yeah it was fun there was a holiday where everyone ganged up on randall the chosen child the favorite of the mm -hmm. family the one that everyone drops all their plans for when he comes into town oh and, yeah uh yeah i i bested him everybody was roasted him it was amazing that's awesome that's what comedy's <laughs> done for me that's why i did comedy just so i could mm -hmm. kind of roast my brother when no <laughs> go on so yeah so um so I had to be um, really funny. And not only was it because, um, you know, my family was, but because I was, uh, you know, a fat, short-haired little girl. And Same. the Same. girl and the bullying was awful. The 80s? Yes. Yeah. Man, I, I look back at the pictures of me in 1988 when I was in like fourth grade, fifth grade. And I was, I, they made fun of me for being fat. And I was like, yeah. I wasn't really that fat. No. Compared to now. Yeah. But I was the fat girl. There was a fat yeah. boy who was usually really fat. And then there was a yeah. fat girl. Like a, to be fat as a boy in the 80s, you had to be like bad. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I would get on the school bus and everybody would chant, what's that? It's Pat at me when oh. I would get on the school bus. It was, it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. I had some bad. of that. I had some of that too. Mm -hmm. I think they made that same joke at me in East Texas, dude. Where was, oh, man. where were you at? In uh, Tampa, Florida. Oh, yeah, they made that same joke at me, which made, broke my heart because that was I love that, I love that skit. Yeah, my mom's name Pat. It was like a whole family thing. We love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then they turned that skit against me, and that skit made me sad. It pissed me mm -hmm. off. It my favorite skit, and it was obviously it wasn't original. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So then, like you know, you have to learn how to turn those situations into something that's uh, ridiculous and easier to process than um than like kind of the reality of all these people are so invested in making you feel bad that they have like literally banded together and done a chant that they probably practiced <laughs> before you're like 10 11 year old little chubby ass waddled onto the bus getting ready to start your day and that's what you're greeted with and you know you can't the reality of that is too boys, bad boys pretending they like you Mm -hmm. you can they can laugh at their friends yeah um may like that's the beginning of my trust issues dude because i had a good home life that's the thing is like mm -hmm. 
the comedians, I mean, they roasted me, and we, but at the end of the day, like, I had both my parents, I was always loved, I, I, mm -hmm. I was loved, we were poor, but we weren't abused, we, I had a really good home life, mm -hmm. so it was, but the, my home life did not prepare me for that, because my parents always told me how beautiful and smart and great I was, right. so I had no clue that I was fat and ugly, you know what I mean, and yeah. stupid, I was like, what? And so, mm -hmm. the, yeah, when you go out there and the world keeps telling you that, it doesn't matter what your mom's telling you, you mm -hmm. know, because you have a bus full of children, your peers yeah. telling you that you're fat and ugly, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and they even say things like only your mama would think, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're mm -hmm. like, yeah, only my mom thinks I'm pretty because she's right. my mom and she has to. So that's really where, yeah, it started. I, um, what was I going to say? I should start writing things down. As people are saying things, exactly. Mm -hmm. I had Mark a, the time of things that you want to hang on to, like what the timestamp is. Yeah, I had a point. Well, I can't see the timestamp with this recording. Oh, sucks. Uh, but you're talking about bullying. Mm hmm. Chanting things at you. Yeah. I, I don't remember. I'll, it'll come back. It's important. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> so, yeah, like that was, that's kind of, um, my little introduction into like finding i don't know i could relate to those weirdos on snl and oh you know I yeah i remember when we moved to wichita uh, back to wichita in eighth grade mm -hmm. i decided that it was my chance to reinvent myself to the none of these people knew me right and, um i could be anybody that i wanted to be and um sam kennison happened to be my idol at the mm -hmm. time and this was like 89 probably yeah mm -hmm. that 89 90s mm -hmm. and uh right before he died he became my idol and so also then i started doing white crosses uh little speed pills you remember learning oh yes yeah, yeah many fins, that like, kind of thing yeah there are many fins but they were like stronger than many fins yeah they were prescribed to people to lose weight yes um, they were dime each, so I would spend two dollars a day on them. Uh, well, one day I got two dollars for lunch, so one day I'd buy white crosses, one day I'd buy cigarettes and white washes. So you get a pack of cigarettes for a dollar. So right. yeah, yeah. So I'm all hyped up on white crosses, you know, and um, I would go up to people like the 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 the, the preppy kids, the me, the kids that bully my kind, you know. Right. Um, the football players and the cheerleaders and you yep. know, real eighties movie. Those eighty movies are right. There was they are. in the eighties there were sex of yep. people and they did not mix and they were no. mean to the others and yeah, there was this whole thing in the eighties that I don't think is really as big of an issue now. No. Thank God. Um so I would go up to these people and I would slam the locker in their face. And then I would scream just like right in their face, just like, ah, like Sam Kennison. And then I would run down the hall screaming, right? And so, and then all my friends thought it was really funny, but what accidentally happened, and I just realized this on a podcast talking the other day, I didn't really, I just put this together, like how my humor started. I really hadn't thought about it, but as a protection, but those people started thinking I was funny mm -hmm. for doing it. And, um, and they, and they garnered me like some sort of weird respect with them. Like they didn't fuck, they didn't fuck with me. They didn't bully me. Um, and they thought I was cool. <laughs> they thought it was cool. They thought it was funny. 
and um so they didn't bully me anymore because but they and they didn't like make fun of me or anything they, they like legit because i know like sometimes young boys like that can they'll use that against them because they'll make them to get they'll get them to do crazy shit like jump off of a building or something or you know what i mean just yeah but it wasn't like that like they legit thought i was funny and they liked hanging out with me and then that kind of made them be like oh maybe these stoner kids aren't that bad i think i was ugh, i was sitting on my vape and it was just going off um yeah but so that's kind of where like i didn't even realize that my the because i didn't really have an interest in doing comedy at all before i i wasn't like my little brother started comedy for me and he's always been like a comedy nerd he's just always been into stand-up and i that's mm -hmm. like i like sam kennison and i had certain people i liked and i watched a lot of we always watched SNL, like way before I was old enough to watch it. Mm -hmm. And my dad would, um, my dad had VHS tapes uh, of it because he went on the road a lot and he wasn't always home on Saturday. So we would record it for him. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I had these VHS tapes and I would take them over to my other friends who were 10 or 11 or 12, you know, and I would show them the Saturday Night Live because they, they weren't allowed to watch it. Mm -hmm. And so I exposed them to it. I was like, look at this tape I got. It's the new SNL, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to, to a bunch of 10-year-olds. And they thought it was the fucking coolest thing. But, um, yeah, so SNL was huge for me. But, yeah, I didn't realize that it was it, – I started comedy as a coping mechanism to, mm -hmm. to get people to be nice to me. I didn't think I was one of those people. I've heard the stories of people that, that related that they did that. But I honestly yeah. never thought I was one of those people until I was telling the story and I was like, mm -hmm. Oh God, I'm one of those people. I can remember being like 10 years old and making the conscious decision to try to make them laugh first before they can make fun of me. Because if I pointed out the things that they were going to point out first, then they wouldn't look as funny because I had already done it. So everybody in class knew that, you know, I was self-aware enough. I just, what, yeah. I just distracted them from my weakness, mm -hmm. from the things they used to make fun of me for. I, I distracted mm -hmm. them from being fat and having short hair. Of course, by eighth grade, I wasn't really fat anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was still bigger than the other girls, but not like to where I was being made fun of for it. But that was still there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I distracted them by just being crazy, by mm -hmm. screaming and running around like a fucking... In, in freshman year, well, I got, I got my ass kicked the last day of eighth grade by a group of girls um, that were just jumping people to jump people, and I was a weak one. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to high school, I decided I never wanted that to happen again. So I would started betting people that I wouldn't slam my head into the locker, and I'd stand on one side of the, of the hall, and I would run, and I would hit my head on the locker, but I'd kick it, and I'd hit it too. Oh, Yeah. Cause who's going to fuck with that? And that, that protected me. Cause they were like, uh, nobody wanted to fuck with that crazy chick. That's a great wrestling move too. Yeah. Uh huh. I mean, if you hit your head in the right spot, it doesn't. Yeah. But yeah. to make all the noise, you know? Oh yeah. 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 Well, my, yeah, my cousin, my best friend was my cousin, Mike, and he was into wrestling. So maybe that's where I thought of it. I don't remember having a process that I thought of it. I just knew that it'd be louder. Maybe yeah. I did. Maybe I was influenced by the wrestling and I don't remember, <laughs> but there was one time I hit my head in the wrong spot. I had my head up a little too far. So I hit it like here instead of here. Mm -hmm. And I got a little dizzy. Oh, wow. But I was like, 
give me my five dollars. You know, I'm like, Disney, <laughs> give me my money. Yeah. Who's gonna fuck with that shit? <laughs> Nobody. So, go on. Okay. So yeah, there was that in elementary school, and then um, I started to like write jokes um, with my sister who was um, like 15 years older than me, but she was in um, college and she and I had very similar weird senses of humor. And so she and I would write jokes together just to make each other laugh. Do you know who Adam Peyton Holland is? Huh? Adam Peyton Holland. He's a comedian. Uh, Oh. Adam Peyton Holland is his name. Okay. He's got a book, Tragedy Plus Time. It's sad, his sister killed herself, but Growing up, they would do that. They would do skits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And she was much older than me. So her sense of humor was much more sophisticated. And so, and then once again, you know, I'd have to like raise my bar so that I could keep up with the older crowd. And so my sense of humor was always much different than anybody else I knew anywhere. You know, I couldn't really relate to other kids or I always felt like they, nobody else like got it. (laughs) I always just felt like most of the other kids I knew were stupid. Yes. Um, Yeah, like there was some other um, plane of existence that I got to live in that nobody else really existed in but me, which is probably also related to the mental illness. Yeah. Those kids, though, the kids I hung out with, the only kids that were nice to me were the stoners. Uh, Yeah, exactly. The geeks and stuff were nice to me, but I wasn't smart enough. Hang on. Sorry, I let my roommate's cat out. Oh, no, it's fine. I, yeah, I know. I know. He acts like I wanted him in here. Yeah, he acts like he's my cat or something. Like I asked him to come in. (laughs) Anyway, um, what was I saying? I'm so easily distracted these days. Uh, My brain is mush. I'm not working. Um... I don't remember. I don't remember what I was saying. Anyway, go on. Okay. Now I forgot where I was, too. You had to rise to your sisters. Oh, I hung out with stupid kids. Yes. Like, all the kids were so dumb, especially in the South. Jesus Christ, they're stupid. But if I had hung out with the smart kids, I would have rose to them. Mm -hmm. I would have, because I know myself now. Yeah. But I didn't, because... It was easier, you know, I, and so I hung out with like these stoner kids who, who had really bad home lives. Um, yeah. So I would, I mean, I lived in a trailer too, but compared to them, I was rich and I had my mom and my dad and had yeah. parents. And so um, I was like, you know, the, what my younger daughter could have gone into gifted classes. And she said, mom, I'd rather be the smartest of the mm-hmm. stupid people than the stupidest of the smart people. Yeah, big fish in a little pond. Yeah, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, so I think I was kind of like that situation. Yeah. And now, in a, as a comedian, I'm not like that at all. I want to dive into that big pond and sink or swim. Right, yeah. But you always- so, yeah, high school was weird. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you get uh, puberty hits, and then you get skinny, and then you get long hair, and then you get big boobs, and then everybody wants to hang out with you, but you know they don't really like you. I got boobs in fifth grade. Oh, my gosh. In sixth grade, I had a C cup, but I was Jeez. only 120 pounds. Wow. I never had long hair. I've always, almost always had short hair, but yeah, 
they got me a lot of attention that I did not want. Yes. So I have bad posture. I just started yeah. hiding them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd come home, you know, and I'd be in situations like that where boys would say stuff or whatever. And then, but I would come home and tell my mother, who was like much older. She was our age, 41, when she had me. Yeah. And so she had a much different uh, viewpoint on that sort of thing. So I'd come home and I'd feel bad and I'd tell her and she'd be like, oh, honey, you just put your shoulders back and put your tits out and you should be proud of that rack. And so I had this really fucked up ideal in my head, like, oh, I should like it whenever boys are like that to me. My mom told me basically, yeah, it was that that boys are disgusting Uh and, and that, you know, that you're going to get a lot of attention for those, but just, just ignore it because they're gross. Yeah. And stay away from those boys. Mm Mm-hmm. But then I had the opposite. My mom was like, oh, you know, her advice was basically like, oh yes, you should attach your self-esteem to people who treat you that way. And that was like, a way to feel good was that I had big boobs and oh boys think I'm slutty because I have big boobs that's actually a you know a thing I want to have in my my character rather than something that you should ig- ignore and be yourself about you I know that from my friends yeah and I saw it in action and was like oh yeah so yeah and then I was uh, pregnant by the time I was 16 oh. and uh got married to my high school sweetheart guy who happened to be the, um, the cutest guy with long hair and a Metallica t-shirt who also drove like a loud Volkswagen. So I married that guy. I got pregnant in 16, yeah. but thankfully nature took care of that. Woo! Yeah. Um, Cause my high school boyfriend was, he had a butterface and he was stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why. I just love him mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. I probably would have <laughs> married him too. Ooh, mm-hmm. We were married for 13 years, Jesus. me and that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And raised, uh, raised my son who is uh, 23 now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then whenever we were married, uh, like 20 years ago, I started uh, doing stand up. I was going to, uh, I was pre-med in college. And so I decided um, I took a public speaking class. And I had to write, I don't know, like you could write whatever you wanted. So I wrote like a set, like a 15 minute set and I did it. And it would, was like the first time I had ever done any jokes I had written in front of people and I fucking killed. And I was like, this is what I want. This is what I need to do. And my, my um, professor, she's like, you know, I don't think you should be majoring in medicine. I think you probably should uh, kind of pursue the public speaking thing. Why don't you take what you did to the improv in Ybor City in Tampa your and, college professor encouraged yeah. you to not be a doctor. Yes. Yeah. That's a good set. You must have been. Yeah. They must, well, been, I talked well? about all the ridiculous uh, uh, colloquialisms my weird redneck parents would say when I was a kid. Were you like, doing well in class? I mean. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. But then I went into the uh, open mic, and then in like uh, 20 years ago, you had to pay 20 bucks for five minutes at the improv. In LA, some places. Yeah, and so I did that for like uh, a year, and I got to meet all kinds of cool comics, and uh, it was uh, lots of fun. But um, then my first husband and I eventually, you know, we got divorced. Uh, Your life changes, and, and yeah. 
that was the end of uh, stand up in Florida. And then uh, was he supportive of you doing it when you were together? No, he never, he was the one, I think he may have been autistic or is autistic because he didn't really react to anything really. Like, um, he wasn't like supportive. He was more like, is this going to inconvenience me? You know, that was sort of his, um, take on whenever I pursued any sort of interest. Like, how's this going to affect my life? Right. Is this going to, am I going to have to watch the kid? Am I going to have to like pick him up from somewhere or whatever? Am I going to have to be yeah. a parent and a partner? Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that was like, you know, that was an issue, but I did it anyway. Cause I, you know, I loved it. I absolutely. God, it was the best. I didn't even care. The audience in Florida is awful. They like, don't get it, anything. It's an addiction. Yeah. That's why all of us comedians are having such a hard time is because we're not getting our fix and people, right. people are starting to go crazy and just, yeah. I have friends that just go to the end of their driveway with their PA system. See, that's a great idea. Yell at the, their, their, you know, but they have comedy. They can do that in the suburbs, but yeah. I have friends that go like, they just went out on their porch with their PA uh -huh. and just started telling jokes yeah. to the neighbors and I thought about doing it because I I was dating a guy in the apartment complex and I was like I could put it in the parking lot they could open their windows that's true <laughs> yeah getting desperate for a fix man I know and I have so much like I keep seeing on Facebook all these other comics are having so much trouble writing and for whatever reason because I'm only working two days a week and I've got that morning time before my kids wake up like, and I drink my coffee and, you know, wake and bake before anybody in the house wakes up. I just have had so many good ideas and I've written so much cool stuff and I'm just excited about it. Well, you, uh, you have that before you got on stage, you have that writing background with your sister and, you know, so you already had, you know, and then I think I, I didn't really get into it till my kids were grown, but if I had mm -hmm. been doing it when they were grown, well, when they're little, You've worked these times into your life where you get, how old are your kids now? Um, my oldest, my son, you know, he's an adult, he's married, he's on his own, but I have two little girls that are eight and seven. Yeah. When they're small like that, you have to work in those times. Yeah. That's why their bedtime's so important too. Absolutely. <laughs> Go to bed, mommy. Go to, F to sleep. Yeah. My wine or whatever weed is for me. And so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah so you work in those times. So you already have that like routine writing time written into your life yeah um, that a lot of people don't have yeah i don't have it so that's so you yeah see that muscle's always that mu first of all your writing muscle is very strong because you start mm -hmm. young, and then your writing muscle is exercised on a regular basis there's mm -hmm. is not now because they their process, not that what you're doing is right and what they're doing is wrong, but your process. Right. Everybody's different. Yeah. yeah. Their process works really well for this situation. Whereas their process mm -hmm. is because they hang out with their friends. That's like, that's me. how they work on their jokes. Yeah. That's one reason I started this. I mean, that's one thing, not like I started this podcast, but I started as a joke, but, uh, it's really helped with that because that's how I write. I mean, I do some by myself mm -hmm. more of like, Usually I'm hanging out with somebody, I'm getting high, I say some funny shit, I write it down, and then when I'm alone, I expand on it, you know? Yeah. And um, that's how I write. And so, yeah, it's really hard to write when you're just sitting in your apartment by yourself staring at some walls. Right. It's hard. It is. You need something to react to. <laughs> and if there's nothing going on, you don't have anything to react to. Yeah. 
So, but yeah. So then I met, um, my first husband left me whenever he turned 30, he left me for uh, a 19 year old, uh, chick. I got, it was so just so cliche. His 19 year old secretary. Oh my God. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Left me for her. And, um, and then I cried for like three months straight, which I don't even know why now. Cause I, you know, yeah, but at this point awful. you're what, 36? Uh, no, I was like 28, 29. 29. Okay. Yeah. Because oh, it's 13 years. I got the 20 in my head. Yeah. Okay. But at 29, it feels like you're old and it's the end of the world. I still felt like a 12 year old though, because I didn't have a lot of life experience. You know, I, you know, married my high school sweetheart and that was kind of it. And, uh, worked in doctor's offices and so life was kind of sheltered except for when I went to do comedy and stuff and um so I you know didn't have I feel like my character is better now than it was then like there's more of me because I've had the chance to react and have to um, process a lot of different experiences and things now I've been through a lot since then and so I feel like my point of view now is much um much more um polished I guess yeah you know and so I like my comedy a lot more now. And then I met my uh, husband who I'm married to now. Um, and then when I met him and he and I, I don't know why, I don't know what it is. We're on the same wavelength or some sort of thing. But when he and I get together, nobody makes me laugh the way he does ever in my whole life. Not even my sister when we would write jokes together. And uh, he and I both are just very passionate about comedy. And um, we're both like loud assholes. Is he a too? Huh? Is he a comedian too? He will not get on stage, but he and I will work on jokes together. Like he will, he wants to make me laugh and he would be brilliant. You know, he has a great, um, the cadence and the way he talks and his timing is just so good. But, you know, we work on me doing it. And so we write, you know, we write together and then I'm the one that gets on stage and does it. That's amazing. It makes me want to cry. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) It is. It is like he's just yeah like that's a dream. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah. To date, to to be married to a comedian that doesn't actually be a comedian is. No, he lets me do all the things. Is my dream. That would be amazing. Oh, and he's a great cook too. Oh man. I could. I should clone him. (laughs) I could sell him to other other smart chicks. Yeah. I think that's the only way I'm getting anybody at this point. I just got to wait for cloning. Right. <laughs> Maybe I can raise him. No, that's yeah. That's gross. Yeah. No, that's creepy. That is creepy. <laughs> just let me have him when he gets about like, like, like right when he's 18. Yeah. And then just use him for manual labor before he's ripe. Mow the lawn. Yeah. Do the dishes. I'll let him go have sex with other girls so he can learn all that. All those. Yeah. Things. Yeah. I don't want to teach him all the sex stuff. No, no. Let somebody else do yeah. that. There's no reason. Let's do that. You waste your time. You're ready now. <laughs> you have a big ceremony. Yeah. Unveil him. <laughs> that's creepy. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what men do to women, except they have sex with them. That's yeah, yeah. And that's fine. But when we think about women doing the same thing, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's creepy either way. But I think... Um, there's a more visceral reaction because the roles are so reversed. I think it's creepy either way. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, 
I tried dating. Is your husband your age? Yeah, he's six months younger than me. See, I went through several years now uh, since my last long-term relationship of, of being with younger people. Uh -huh. My third husband is now, he's like 10 years younger than me. Um, but yeah, I was keeping them between 29 and 31. It's not like mm -hmm. I intentionally traded them in when they hit 31. It just always happened to be that way. Yeah. Um, cause I hadn't had any luck with older guys. And I was like, well, maybe I just need to go younger. And I was like, nope, these dudes suck too. Yeah, they so all do. Now I'm just like, I have discovered that men mature to about the age of 30. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. Uh, for the most part, unless something yeah. major happens to them in their life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, especially, yeah, I just, but now I'm just like, whatever. I don't care how old you are. I don't, I mean, to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. If I met a 26 year old that was, that I got along with and was mature enough and stuff, fuck it. I can't, I have so many things that I'm limiting my dating pool with as it is. I can't be that worried about age. Cast a wide net. Yes. Because, well, because I have other things that I'm very specifically, they are deal breakers. Mm -hmm. um, because of my mental illness and what I know I can and can't handle. Yeah. Um, and because of who I am and my personality, it's, it's a big I have a strong personality as my brother calls it, you know, and that's why yeah. this, my other podcast. Um, oh, I have a, I'm doing two podcasts right now. Mm -hmm. Earlier I said, I did start this podcast as a joke. That was my other podcast. Uh huh. It's fat, lonely bitch is my, other Oh, podcast, nice. Which what I've been doing, um, is just taking the art of comedy podcast unedited and, and the regular fat, lonely bitch. Cause I'm actually interviewing people, mostly men on uh -huh. that. Um, and just slapping them up there. I don't edit them. Mm. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll slap everything up there, but then the art of comedy, I really, uh, edit it down and it takes time. But, um, the fat, lonely bitch podcast was because a guy online that I made mad cause I called him a cunt. He's being my, I don't remember what I said, but it was like, drop dead, blah, 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 you cunt. And then, cause he was being shitty to my friend and uh, my female friend who, who would probably want to say that, but would never say that because mm -hmm. she's not a bitch and I am. And so, uh, he just went off in a series of messages, basically roasting me or going off on me and called me a fat, lonely bitch. Um, and so yeah, so the word bitch for me does not, it's positive because the only people that call me bitch are calling me bitch based on personality traits that I love about myself. I love Absolutely. That, yeah. I love that I get passionate and emotional about my friends. I love that I care, it, you know, enough to, to be passionate about something. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also behavior that if I was a man, wouldn't be a problem. So call me right. bitch. So I, I see it as a, as a compliment to call me a bitch. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I started the Fat Lonely Bitch podcast. That's where I, I it was originally a fake comedy album Friday thing because I have mm -hmm. a picture of me, like, and so I, it's, it's just, it all worked out beautifully. But, um, yeah, so I don't, uh, just a lot. I'm a lot, and uh, that's fine. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that love me the way I am. Um, I'm, not, I'm not something that's for the masses. 
Mm-hmm. I never have been. I'm not physically designed for the masses. My, I don't act uh, the way a woman should for the masses, and I never have. And mm-hmm. I used to hate it, and now I love it. Mm-hmm. And it's really due to comedy. I mean, a hundred percent due to yeah. comedy. I mean, not a hundred percent. I was already a bitch before that, but um, I've really leaned into it. You know, your acceptance so, of it. Yeah, my acceptance of it um, because the confidence that comedy has given me has just really spilled over to every area of my life. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that I have now, whether I keep doing comedy or not. Yeah. And so I don't accept behavior from men now that I try to date that I used to accept. And so mm-hmm. I've gotten pickier in a good, in a very good way, but it's also mm-hmm. hard because the dating pool is already small. Yeah. And when you're, when you're when you're saying to somebody, I can't, I don't even want to date anybody that is a recovering alcoholic, which I know sounds very harsh because I know there's a lot of great people that have recovered from Mm -hmm. alcohol and have stayed off it and they're amazing people. Um, and I'll be friends with them, but I was with somebody that was sober for 10 years off of drugs and then spun out. And so I don't, my anxiety cannot handle it. I'm going to constantly yeah. be waiting for you to, to go off the wagon and I can't live like that. And you can't live like that. And that's just the reality of, of, of who I am now. And so that knocks a lot of people out, a lot of people yeah. in forties, you know? Yep. And so, um, and most people in their thirties are in the middle of it. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then I have some questions I ask people, not on the first date, because well i don't know i quit online dating in january and then all this shit happened so i don't know how i'm how what my dating mm-hmm. uh process might be in the future but my previous process because i met him online we talk online that would go okay we'd make it to texting that would go okay and then you know eventually i'd go on a first date with them so i already like talked about the mundane like got their backstory and shit. I'm not like just throwing this out there the first time I meet them, but I'm like, yeah. I asked the question about the drugs and alcohol. And if it's yes, I don't ask, you know, I don't ask the rest of the questions because right. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And um, I still have the date and whatever. I'll be their friend. But, and then um, I tell them that though, like not on the date. I usually wait and text them that because I'm a pussy, but I'm just like, Hey, <laughs> I don't want to just, but I don't want to just ghost you, but I want to tell yeah. you why I don't think we would work. And this is why. And they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. So, um, my other question is, have you ever been to prison or jail? And if so, why not necessarily mm-hmm. about it? There's no, not necessarily, I mean, there's definitely wrong answers, but you know what I mean? That's not a definite deal breaker. I just want to hear the story. And I, mm-hmm. one man told me that he'd been in prison for five years for armed robbery and he'd only been out. Wow. He'd only been out like six years. He did it when he was 19. Uh, of course, he was a raging alcoholic. And I sh- that's when I learned to ask that question first. I asked that question mm-hmm. last. And he was like a half to drink or I start shaking alcoholic. So I'm out. And yeah. um, do you have any mental illness that is untreated and that you haven't dealt with? Like, mm-hmm. I have mental illness. It's fine. And you don't have to necessarily be on medication. But like, what steps are you taking yeah. Manage it to get through it, you know, things like that. Um, do you have any past like deep rooted trauma, either from childhood or relationship that you have not worked through and dealt with? 
Mm -hmm. Basically, anything that's going to come up on a daily basis that you use as an excuse to be an asshole, anything mm -hmm. like that, you know, um, yeah. I don't want to hear about how your ex always cheated on you. And that's your excuse for being, for accusing me. I don't give a yeah. shit. Get over it. Yeah. I'm ex, you know, shit like that. And then, um, how do you like, uh, are you a Joe Rogan fan? One. Someday, I really hope to meet a man that says who? <laughs> he is, he's straight man Oprah, all the way. That's what they call him, Jopra. Yeah. Nothing will, if, if I was on, I asked this question now immediately online. I learned that. Mm -hmm. If I were, yeah, I'm not, and it's nothing against Joe Rogan necessarily. I don't watch his podcast. I don't watch his stand-up. I don't, I can't speak to him as a person. I don't Yeah. I'm speaking directly from trying to date in some capacity, his fans. His fans. Mm -hmm. and, and so I will accept, yeah, he's okay. Of course I'll accept he's awful and I don't like him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it depends on who the guest is because he has some good people on there, you know? Yeah. It depends on who the guest is. Um, you know, he's all right. You know, I'll accept that. But if they're like, oh, I love Joe Rogan. Oh. He's my Jopra. I'm like, out. But I asked that question first now before I good. But yeah, like, are you a Joe Rogan fan? Do you mm -hmm. love Joe Rogan? Because if you do, it's nothing, I'm not judging you, but I'm going to tell you right now, we will not be compatible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not going to be compatible, so I'm out. Mm -hmm. So I have all that going against me, and then I, you know, I can't be factoring in age, too. Yeah. Too much. Mm -hmm. I also like... I do like older guys that have grown children now. I like to be able to have that shared experience as a parent. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's nice. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times you start talking about your kids to people and their eyes just glaze over. Yeah. You know, and I'm not having any more children. <laughs> yeah, uh-uh. No. Yeah, and a lot of dudes say they don't want kids until they're looking down the barrel of the option being gone if they're going to commit to this person and then they're like wait a minute yeah maybe i do want to you know have my genetics stay in the world because mm -hmm. i'm so great that i must put <laughs> my genetics into the world must reproduce must reproduce <laughs> but yeah so like comedy for you I mean, you kind of talked about how it helped you, but yeah, like with the nonprofit, you know, going to women, um, helping women and the queer community. And um, I think that there's a lot of value, even if they don't become comedians mm -hmm. in learning the comedic process and yeah. on stage um, just with their confidence. Yeah. Like I, um, when I was about uh, 12 years old, I, um, I grazed my hand um, along my, um, the chick that sat next to me in my history class, I grazed my hand along her breast by accident. And I was putting a paper on her desk and it was at that moment I knew that I also liked women. Yeah. And, and I, think, um, I think that growing up in the 90s, I, I, as, a, as an adolescent, I think it was good for those of us who were bi or queer or trans or whatever, because it was just kind of becoming a thing. I mean, I know it was. Huh? Not in Wichita. 
Oh, really? Like we, um, I was very lucky that I grew up in a rich suburb. I mean, I grew up in a double wide trailer, but around me, all of the land had been sold to yeah. um, these people who built million dollar homes. And so I grew up with all these rich kids who their parents were liberal and, um, you know, and my, I was lucky, even though my parents were rednecks, my mom was really smart and very, very liberal. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was kind of cool, but it still wasn't like, um, it wasn't like you could be out, out, you know, like you could be like, I could be out with a girlfriend because I wanted to shock people, you know, as like a teenager. It was like that sort of thing. I didn't know. I had no clue that I liked women. Um, until after high school, when I was 17, I went down to Texas to visit my, stayed with my brother to visit my friends down there. Mm -hmm. And um, I was at like a Barnes and Noble or some bookstore that was next to a theater by my brother's house. And I was just bored and I went to the theater and just saw a movie and it happened to be like a lesbian movie. Oh yeah. And uh, it was a really good movie. I wish you could remember what it was. It was a good movie. And um, so then I, you know, go over to the bookstore and I'm looking at the books and stuff. And um, this beautiful woman who was probably in her late 20s mm -hmm. uh, just starts talking to me. And uh, we start talking about the movie. And then she has an apartment that's like above the bookstore. Uh, and so we go up there and she gives me some wine and uh she, I, she didn't drink the wine so she was like a predator wow uh, yeah so she gave me some wine and uh and yeah we had sex and i'd never you know been with a woman before she was weird but yeah it was still like my first experience and then i was like oh <laughs> i do like that and so yeah yeah and then i figured out that i liked it and so I didn't really do anything with it though. Mm -hmm. I had the knowledge that I liked it. I didn't really explore that or anything until my thirties. Oh wow! Yeah, I had a I had girlfriends in high school. Also had boyfriends, but then I met you know my first husband and um, and at the time I was dating a girl who was this beautiful, beautiful Dominican girl, and she was so sweet, and we had so much fun together. But my stupid head was like, oh, you know, you're, you should be with a guy. And this guy knows how to work on cars. So somehow he has more value than this woman that you really like hanging out with. Yeah. And so it's just, it was, you know, it wasn't like how it is now back then. I found out now that my best friend in eighth grade had a girlfriend. Oh, wow. A friend of ours. And I didn't know. I didn't know that they were together or I, I didn't know that she she was a slut she slept with so many boys all the time mm -hmm. all the time the first night I met her she slept with two boys like one after the other wow. and, and and so I had no idea mm -hmm. but I think she was um I think she was sleeping with so many boys to kind of prove that she to herself and to everybody else that she wasn't gay ah uh, yeah yeah I think because she turned out she's gay mm -hmm. sort of mostly she's mostly gay it's a she spectrum she has a boy she has kids and she has a boyfriend now but she has girlfriends too mm -hmm. she has like a nesting partner essentially that happens yeah. to be a man so but they're all poly and stuff 
That's too much to deal with for me. That's too much. For me, it is too much, mostly because I get really emotionally invested in, in people and especially if we're having sex. So I can't, I yeah. can't have the emotional depth to, I, and it, I would, I don't feel like I could, I could fulfill their needs. You know what I mean? I couldn't, it's not just about me, but I don't think I could fulfill the emotional and the needs. I don't know. Yeah. I, it does make sense kind of that, cause I have a bunch of different, not a bunch, but I have a few best friends that aren't connected to each other that I love for different reasons. And I fulfill certain needs in them and they mm. needs in me that like my best friend Don's who I call when I need someone just to tell me like it is and not sugarcoat some shit. Right. You know, talk me off a ledge and mm. talk some sense into me or something. And then, you know, I, I just have other friends that I know won't judge me for anything. And so I can tell them certain things I won't tell Don or I'll tell them, yeah. I'll tell them more details. And so I could see like, if I could get rid of my jealousy factor, I could see polyamory working for me because I am a lot and I don't know if there is one person that can fulfill all my needs. Right. Not sexually, but just like emotionally. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, you mix those things together whenever you're in like a, a relationship with somebody and you see them, yeah. you know, regularly. And then uh, you start to get, um, you feel, you know, upset when they're seeing somebody and maybe it's real or not, but you think they're seeing them more than they see you. And, and then it just kind of plants a seed of doubt in your little head. Yeah. I don't know if I have, it's, it's not, like on paper, it sounds like a really good idea. For me. I'm sure it works very well for lots of people. Like I totally get the whole sister wives thing. Yeah. I understand that you have a large farm and you need to make a bunch of little slave you know, galley slaves to come, you know, plant the corn for you. I totally get that. And you need more than one woman in the house to handle all of that shit. I get it. Um, but then that if yeah. I, if I had like four boyfriends and we all live together, I wouldn't mm -hmm. have to work. Yeah. It needs to work the other way as well. That's what I'm saying. Like I get that whole thing. There's, there's, but there should be equality with it. There's a chick that she's pregnant and she knows it's by one of her boyfriends because she, um, they were on a vacation together or something. Yeah. But yeah, she lived with four men. She, they could all go sleep with other women, but they don't. And I actually started talking to a dude online because um, I got bored in the quarantine and I got back on online dating. Um, but then it was just, we both, because we're mature adults, were like, this is not a good time to try to date. I'm too yeah. emotionally raw at the moment. I'm too emotionally raw and he has too much pent up testosterone and he mm -hmm. was trying real hard not to be pervy and gross with me and scare me away. Mm -hmm. he was just like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, can't. Yeah. I, I just want to be gross and talk about sex. And it's, it's not how I normally am, but it's how I am right now. And I know, and I was like, yeah, I'm way too emotional. And I'm telling you way too much information for somebody I've never met in person. Um, yeah. And then it's just, this is all this too much. And so, yeah. but he actually, he actually wants someone that he will be committed to, but they will go, they can go do whatever they want. And it's not that he has to watch them have sex with somebody. He just likes coming, them coming home and him knowing they had sex with somebody else. All right. But 
it doesn't matter if they sleep with women or men. It doesn't have to be a man that they had sex with. Uh -huh. So I can have a girlfriend. What's his contribution? He wants you to like live with him? Like, uh, no. like co cohabitate or is it he, um, I mean, eventually it would be like that. I guess yeah. we didn't get that far into the discussion, but you Isn't know, that called cuckolding or something cuckolding. Work for that. Yeah. But he doesn't want to, you know, which would work for me if it was women. Um, yeah. because as long as you don't want to watch, that's the problem. Yeah. I don't want to fucking have you watch me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I've been in relationships where I've dated women and they were okay with it. And, um, some people consider it cheating. And so I wouldn't, mm -hmm. um, because I don't fall in love with women. Mm -hmm. I don't get romantically emotionally attached to women in that way. Mm -hmm. At least I never have. I'm not saying it's out of the question. Mm -hmm. um, I only get emotionally attached to men, <laughs> unfortunately. It's a real mm -hmm. fucking bummer. <sighs> I really wish I could fucking love women like that. I mean, I love women. I love, I prefer their company now. I, I just, I don't know, maybe yeah. I'll get into it. Maybe the right girl will come along and sweeten off my feet. <laughs> Save me. But, um, but, you know, and then I was dating a guy that, you know, he's in his, he's in his 40s and he's not very, he's not very woke. He's trying to be, he's trying to get there. You know, he's learning new things every day. He grew up in Oklahoma. So, you know, he wants to not be ignorant anymore, at least. Oh, okay. But he said, yeah, I wouldn't care as long as they don't have a dick. And I was like, that can't be the decision maker because I was married to a trans man. So yeah. it's not about genitalia. It's about they're a man. I yeah. would be emotionally attached to them if they're a man, uh, regardless of genitalia. Mm -hmm. um, I've never dated a trans woman, but they're still a woman. I know lots of trans women that are my friends. And I, have, have, I know trans women that I'm sexually attracted to, but I don't think that I would, I still don't think I would feel it. Like they're a woman. So I, <laughs> I just, yeah. I don't get romantically attached to women. I don't know why. <laughs> I want to. Yeah. I think about it. I think it would be amazing, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't happen. And then I end You up don't get to pick who you fall in love with. I, you know, I used to work at a group home for um, girls who were in foster care and also pregnant. So they're like teen moms, also in foster care. You started they, No, no, no. I worked in a group home oh. like that in Tampa. And one of the girls asked me, um, what's your advice on not falling in love with the wrong guy? And I said, well, since you don't get to pick that, I don't think you get to choose when that happens. You gotta be very careful about who you keep around you. Yes. So you have to make really good decisions about the people you spend your time with, because whenever that happens, you want it to be with somebody that respects you and loves you and will take good care of you. That's why that guy that was a raging alcoholic, I didn't even kiss him. I was like, don't even touch me. Yeah. I don't yep. smell you. If I kiss you and we connect, get the fuck out yeah. of the car. You know, like, no. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I just, and then I end up with a woman in love with me, and I'm not in love with her, and then I have to make her sad. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. That's what's happened. Well, I've only been with six women. Four were one-night things. Mm -hmm. uh, they were they were always married 
or in relationships and they claimed it was okay. So I don't know. But there were two that I saw more than once and I know for a fact that their husbands were okay with it. Um, and the last one I saw her maybe, well, the first one I saw maybe four or five, six times. When I broke up with her, she kind of like lost it a little bit via messaging me and I had to block her and she would mm -hmm. get great texts and, and you know, there was like texting and stuff. But the last one, it's been since 2008, she like was driving by my house and I don't even know how she knew where I live and showing up on my door crying with my kids there. She wanted, she wanted me to leave her. She was going to, she decided she was a lesbian. I was like, cool, good for you. Uh -huh. You, you know, figured out who you are. Yeah. She was going to leave her husband and wanted me to leave my boyfriend and us be together and all this stuff. And I was like, no, that's not ever what we discussed or set up or you know that yeah and yeah she was driving by my house blasting music she showed up not, and on my door crying and of course there was the texting and all that stuff too um she was trying to say anything you huh she was trying to say anything you yes and <laughs> yes and i called her husband i had her home number so i called her husband i was like you have got to get your wife under control or i'm gonna have to get the police involved yeah so I just haven't dated another woman since because every woman I've ever had sex with more than once has stopped me. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just saying, no, I don't know what it is. I, that was Wichita. I've never tried to date any woman in Denver. Well, there's a reason I'm sure that there's that stereotype that lesbians, you know, that you haul it on the second date. My, I mean, my friend Lynette, is a lesbian. I, I stayed with her in Wichita. We're really good friends now, but we, we met online and we went on a couple dates and had a pretty, we never actually had sex, but we had a couple, like a heavy petty session once because she was uh -huh. on a period and, and stuff. Um, and then we were laying there afterwards and we're, and she, she asked me, what are you thinking about right now? And I was like, holy shit, women do actually ask that. My guy friends are right. But I had been thinking, I'd been staring at the ceiling fan thinking about how dirty it was and how I needed to clean it. So yeah. I told her that and she was not, like the vibe changed. Like she was like, oh, I was just, and then she said, I was just laying here thinking about how much I like you. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh shit, this girl thinks I should be laying here thinking about her, which makes no sense because she's right here. Why would I be thinking about her? Right. Um, and then it kind of like, she was like, oh, well, you know, I got to get up in the morning. You should probably go. And so she goes home and then she texts me. And this is probably our second or third date. And she texts me when she gets home. She's like, look, I'm just not used to this. I'm used to like, I meet someone and we connect and we just spend all our time together and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, how's that working for you? It's working real well. But, um, but then now we're just friends. And then like last year, we got really drunk and tried to have sex again. Well, she was really drunk. Um, cause I was at her house. I was actually helped. I was at her house for 48 hours to babysit her, to get her on a plane to treatment. <sighs> that was a long, that's a long story, but that's why I was at her house. So she was really drunk. We were in the kitchen and we started kissing and everything was great in the kitchen. And when we got to the bedroom though, we both, it was like jujitsu. We were both just trying to get on top and be the top and just like, no, you didn't No, So it just doesn't work. <laughs> And then she was like, while I was staying there, she was like, you know, I, I really think like sex with you and me could work if just one of us would be submissive at all. And right. 
she just started laughing. I was like, it ain't gonna be me. She's like, well, it ain't gonna be me. I was like, well, there we are. Well, that's it then. That's it then. Just friends, I guess. I told her, you're better off being my friend because if we dated, I wouldn't be talking to you. You know what I mean? Like, we'll end up hating each other and then we won't be friends anymore. Yeah. But, you know, I stayed there with her for two weeks. And God, if I could have an emotional connection to a woman, she'd be it. She's an alcoholic. You know, she's a real mess. She is just the kind of dude I would love to date. Um, or my friend Brooke. If Brooke and I could be lesbians together, we'd be so happy. We'd be so good together. But <laughs> it's just not, it's not there. I mean, she dates women too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it's so sad. <laughs> and that's another thing we don't get to pick. <laughs> I know. If I did, I would be a lesbian for sure. And yeah. I think the lesbians have their bullshit relationships. And I know there are lesbians out there that are gross and just try to play the field. But mm-hmm. fuck boy lesbians. I know there's there's all that stuff. But but there's so much more just like understanding and beauty in women. And boobs. And boobs. boobs yeah. Are nice. Boobs are good. However, you know what I don't miss? Like I had a, a, between my husbands, I had a long-term relationship with a female and I don't miss trying to figure out how to make her come. <laughs> I don't miss that. Trying to figure that out is really hard. And some ladies, everybody's a puzzle. I know I've only had sex with six women, but, and this is going to sound real cocky, but it just is the facts that I've never uh-huh. had that before. Well, maybe you just know the right, um, the right combination. And, you know, maybe there's a generic combination that, like a master key that everybody not. reacts to. And maybe that's, that's, your, um, that's your thing. There's a couple tricks that get it going. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of communication. And it's really about loving what you're doing, you know? It's about, yeah, yeah, you have a passion for the profession. I have a passion for oral sex, regardless uh-huh. of what's on. And so mm-hmm. I'm really good at it. You know? Yeah. Because I just love doing it so much. But I'm a giver, you know? Yeah. I'm a giver. Um, <laughs> but that's why they fall in love with me, because I fuck them really good. And then when you have sex with somebody and the emotions get, but they're connecting with me and I'm not connecting with them. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. think I am. You know, yeah. it, it feels very real to them. But it for me, it's only nine, it's like 99% there. Yeah. There's still just a little something missing to where I don't. Yeah. I don't have that ache in my chest for them. And I, yeah. don't, I don't look at them across the room and just think about how much I love them and how lucky I am. You know, I don't do that. I should, mm-hmm. but I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure there's men like that too, that are bi, but have the same, you know, they're all on the down low in Atlanta. There are heterosexual men that are like that about women. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know them. They, they are very, they're, there's some of them that are upset about it. They're like, why can't I emotionally connect to the people I want to, you know what I mean? Like why yeah. I'm broken? Um, so if I was just a lesbian, I would feel very, I would, I would be very broken lesbian. Like, yeah. Uh, now I don't know if I can emotionally connect to men either. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like to, for the long haul to where I'll put up with anything. Cause I just like the first time they pissed me off, I bolt. I'm like, I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. Nope unrealistic Mm -hmm. um it's unrealistic of course they're pissing me off within like the first two or three months yeah i feel like a lot of men um don't have any home training like they're they haven't had a woman 
a strong woman in their life to um, to tell them no whenever they say dumb shit. Or they've had a strong woman in their life and they don't want to deal with another one. That's true. If their That's mothers true. were too strong. Yeah. Because the last guy I dated, I thought this dude came with me. His mom is a Cuban immigrant uh-huh. um, that came over here by herself, like on a raft at 16. Mm-hmm. And just showed up on the shores with nothing and has a PhD in like some sort of like medicine administration or some shit. She's super smart. She's yeah. Super strong. She, um, but he also had, she had money um, of her own. He also had a nanny, a live in nanny maid. Wow. Um, but it, which at first I was like, oh, but then she was a strong Hispanic woman. She wasn't like a gushy mushy maid. But she did clean the house, so we didn't have to do a lot of those things, and she cooked the food, but she wasn't, right. like, she wasn't like building up his, his, his ego, but she wasn't tearing it down like his mother was. So I thought that I could, you know, that it would work, but it turns out that all I did was roast him just a little bit. Uh-huh. fucking did not, it did not go well. Yeah. And, um... I was like, I'm out. If you can't handle me roasting you. <laughs> right? Right? You can't be with... And the thing is, is like, I didn't roast him until he was like, we've been dating a couple months. We hadn't seen each other a lot because I was busy with comedy and he had his life. We see each other once or twice a week. And so it took some time for me to get to where I liked him enough to roast him. And, yeah. And he was like, you weren't like this in the beginning. You were so nice. And now you're just mean to me. And I was like, I'm not being mean. I'm roasting you. It's a, like, roast me back. It's fine. And, and, yeah. And, that's how my family's like, well, that's not how my family was, blah, 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 blah. And um, yeah, he couldn't handle me roasting him. And um, it was very disappointing. Yeah. And I was like, shit, I gotta go, man. If you can't handle me roasting you, this is not gonna end well. Because no. otherwise things were pretty good um, with us. He just was, he just had a weak spot and I, yeah. Some people, and it's not just men, people have weak spots, and sometimes I rub those weak spots the wrong way, mm-hmm. and unintentionally, just the way my behavior is, and, and they react badly, and he said, mm-hmm. I will not take any disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was just like, yeah, I didn't roast you in the beginning because I didn't like you that much, and now I really right. like you. I didn't know what to make fun of you about yet. And I really like you, so now I'm roasting you. That means I like you. Yeah. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I think I'm going to just, when I do start dating, I'm just going to roast them off the bat. Immediately. That's usually how I introduce myself to people is with an insult these days. I'm going to immediately roast them on something. Yeah. If I can't find something to roast them on, I'm not even going to talk to them. I'm immediately going to find something to roast them on and then see yeah. how That's why I kind of want to date a comedian. Cause they can handle it and dish it back. Yeah. I do. I get, what I do now is I get crushes on people. Mm-hmm. I was doing this before the quarantine, but now it's like amped up a ramp. It's really ratcheted up there. Mm-hmm. And when you get crushes on comedians, it's great. Cause they put so much, much content. They're on podcasts. Um, so I got a crush on a dude now. Who's, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's a comedian and he's respected and he's funny, but he doesn't, He's got kids he's raising kind of by himself. They're teenagers and he's not, he's like, he said he was 25% comedian now. You know, he's not, it's not like a focus of his life, um, which is great. 
So it's because he's in the scene, but he's not. Yeah. So things go south. And I'm, I'm afraid of things going south with the comedian. Um, one, because people will know those jokes are about me and they'll know my jokes are about them. Two, uh, I get petty and emotional. Mm-hmm. Someone fucks me over and I'm mad at them. And I don't want that part of me to be seen by the scene in public. I don't want to yeah. cry. I don't want them to make a joke about me on stage and I cry in the bathroom. Oh, God. <laughs> that could be me if it was the wrong day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't need that. I don't want to be that girl. Like Peggy in, 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 in not Breaking Bad, uh, Mad Men. Yeah. Well, she sees that she goes to the bathroom to cry and she sees the other girl crying. And she's like, nope. Yeah. I'm not going to be that bitch. No. Mm-mm. So I just get crushes on them. But then in it, they eventually do or say something that makes me go, nope, not compatible. Don't like you. And then yeah. I, I break up with them. Mm-hmm. In your head. At least it keeps I, you occupied. How many? They don't even know how many of these dudes don't even know how much they fucked up. How much? They fucked up. They missed out, you know, <laughs> on all of this. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right. It was really good chatting with you. Um, we're Facebook friends, right? Yes, ma'am. So I'll tag you and stuff. Um, it'll be a while till the AOC one's out because they take a lot of editing. Because one, I want it to be very tight and specific for mm-hmm. that. And two, I ramble a lot. And I, I tried to, I tried to just like talk about things up front and like try to do it in the more, but then it's like, we weren't getting deep. We weren't getting as deep into certain topics as I wanted to get mm-hmm. uh, to where they were like, Oh, I don't want it to be like an interviewer asking questions. I just want to talk about your experience and let those things kind of come out naturally. Right. right. Um, but then I have to edit it down a lot of me out. Yeah. Um, cause I'm not important and I'm kind of telling the same stories on each podcast uh-huh. a lot of the times. So I'm trying to cut all that out and it's really about your experience because I don't have, I don't have students to, to say, here's our success stories, donate to my nonprofit. Right. Oh wait, I never even talked about what my diagnosis is or whatever. Oh. So I have, um, I was diagnosed in my twenties when I was going to uh, college, I was going like days at a time without sleeping while I was taking like organic chemistry and anatomy and all that stuff and um, couldn't figure out what was wrong with me because I wasn't getting tired. And so I go to the psychiatrist and um, he's like, oh, here's a pamphlet. Do you have any of these symptoms? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, he's like, okay, you're bipolar. Here is some Risperdal and here's some Depakote and here is some uh, um, other stuff and here is an SSRI. And so he immediately prescribed me like four different medications. I gained 100 pounds in a year. I dropped out of college and I was in and out of the um, um, fifth floor of Tampa General Hospital like four times in two years. And finally figured out what was going on and I ended all of my medication and um, had to like go through withdrawals from all of that, which sucked, um, ruined my first marriage. <laughs> so then he decided to go shack up with this 19 year old. Um, but now, you know, 10 years later, I'm on a, I've been diagnosed properly with bipolar two. Um, and I'm on uh, two medications. I'm on Paxil, 
Um, and I'm on um, oxcarbazepine, which is one of those uh, frontal lobe like epilepsy medications that kind of slows down um, all of the synapses in your frontal lobe that kind of make you overthink things and uh, give you lots of anxiety. Really? What's that? Yeah. Let me write that down. What's that called? Oxcarbazepine. Oxcar. I'm just going to write it how it sounds. That. Yeah, just do a bazepine, Z-E-P-I-N-E. Here, here's my thing is that I've just been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and uh -huh. um, uh, major depressive disorder. Uh -huh. And I, I'm on Effexor, uh -huh. which has been a real literal lifesaver for my depression. Yeah. Um, it has really kept me from going too low. Mm -hmm. but nothing is keeping me from going too high. Yeah. And um, for the longest time, I was like, I need to go high. I need to go high. I, I to get shit done and write. To get shit done to write. But um, I don't know if it's because I'm older and I require sleep now. I mean, when I was younger and I'd stay up for two days, mm -hmm. 17, it was no big deal. Right. I, I think it's normal. I didn't feel bad. But now, um, like, I just, like, I physically feel bad if I don't rest yeah. and I get real emotional and it's causing problems in my interpersonal relationships uh -huh. um, because when I'm like that, if something sets me off, I either get very sad and I cry a lot uh -huh. or I get very, very, very angry. Yeah. Um, and I lose control of it. I just lose control of my emotions. And so um, also part of it is like when I'm manic, I feel so good that if anybody does anything to try to bring me down, insult me in any way, I'm very hyper to it and I will fucking go off and say yeah. shit and, and make a big scene. And yeah, well, I can't, I just can't have that. Um, so I do not think I'm diagnosed correctly. And I think, I think it's mostly because of the words, like it's, it's not the medical professional's fault. I think it's because of how I was explaining, um, my experience to them. Yeah. I think that I have, I didn't want to be crazy. So when I would go to them, I would dumb it down. Yes. Yeah. I did that for so many years. Yeah. You want to, um, um, if you're a people pleaser, then you even want to people please your therapist and your psychiatrist. And so you go in there and as women do, we downplay our symptoms. Yeah. And so we don't give them the right information that they can use and to diagnose us properly. So I feel like that whole process, we have to rethink about that. We have to teach women and our daughters that you have to be absolutely honest with um, your medical professionals, no matter if you think they're not gonna believe you or not, or if it sounds crazy to you, if they don't have all the information and you're not forthright with it, then they cannot help you at all. Yeah, so I need, yeah, so if I had something, and that is my problem is that um, I am an overthinker. Mm -hmm. And it is, I see the benefits of being an overthinker to some degree. Um, it helped me when I was an HR manager because mm -hmm. part of your job as an HR manager is to overthink the worst case scenarios and prepare your company for them uh, with policies so that right. you don't have lawsuits. So there yeah. is, a, there is a benefit to having that and I don't want to lose it all together, but I have got, it is, it is, it, it is torturing me. My, yeah. brain, my brain will, 
I have been, you know, I did have a doctor diagnose me with a, a thing called OCD thoughts. Well, they brought uh -huh. it up during a therapy session. And so I looked into that and I was like, that makes sense because I don't have OCD behavior necessarily or anything, but it's, it's a thought pattern that like, if something like, I got to be careful what movies I watch. Yeah. Because if I watch a movie about like, even like, uh, Independence Day sent me into a spiral um, because I because in the scene where she saves her kid and her daughter with her, I had four kids. Mm -hmm. and, like, how would I save all four of my kids if it was the end of the world? You know, and he just spiraled me. Uh -huh. Couldn't the, the thoughts? I couldn't get them to get out of my head. I couldn't make them. Yeah. Play, and they were torturing me. Or I'll probably cut this out, but this is a true part of my existence and it's not something I'm proud of, but I couldn't control it. My, I had an ex that told me when he was in the military that he slept with um, prostitutes over in Taiwan. Uh -huh. And I couldn't get it out of my head when we were having sex if, if this is how he fucked those prostitutes. And um, it, ended, it ended up manifesting in me starting to just feel animosity towards Asian women um, that I knew was wrong and I didn't want to feel it. But, you know, I would, I would just be like, Ugh, and I'd be like, stop it. You know, like, yeah. stop it. So it was like, I was conscious of it and it was, which was torture because I didn't want, I knew it was ridiculous. And I didn't want to be, have animosity towards Asian women for no fucking reason. Yeah. And they were the victims, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, so I just, it drove me crazy for a while to where I, I, I started to think I should probably go see a therapist about it because it just was so consuming in my thoughts and I knew it wasn't right and then it wasn't right. But I eventually worked it out on my own, but I tortured myself for a while and it eventually went away and now I'm fine. But um, what was the other one that used to just torture the fuck out of me? <laughs> I don't know, there's so many. But yeah, I'll just, my brain latches on to this certain idea and just won't let it fucking go. And it just, it just tortures me and drives me insane. And yeah. I don't want to think. And I will literally, it's like I hear, I don't hear voices. It's my voice. Mm -hmm. But it's like there's another me in my head. Uh -huh. And sometimes when I'm manic, that voice will get very loud. And it screams at me. But just like normal stuff, like, I should go make coffee. But the voice in my head is like, go make coffee, you know? So yeah. all this going on in my head, but it's not like nobody else knows that that's going on in my head. So I have all this noise in my head already. So I get uh -huh. very, very overly sensitive to noises. I get very overly sensitive to any other stimulus or stimuli. Yeah. Because I've already got so much stimulus yeah. going on in my head that I can't handle any more stimulus right now. And then I laugh yeah. out like, shut up, you know, yeah. or, or stop making that noise. Stop tapping. I tap yeah, yeah. You know, and so if I could just curb it a little, but I don't want to get rid of it too much because it is such an important part of my comedy writing that yeah. I overthink because um, the overthinking is what leads me to think in a way that other people don't think. Yeah. So I'm scared. I'm scared to, because most of the drugs I've taken for anxiety, um, or tazepine and stuff like that has really made me a zombie and I don't oh, think yeah. anything and I can't be like that. So I don't think about anything and that, yeah. that's a torture in itself. So 
So yeah, having the um, the SSRI or whatever Paxil is kind of helps me with like my social anxiety. You know, it kind of takes that edge off. But then the um, oxcarbazepine and there's like a whole host of other anti-seizure uh, medications that work in the same way in the frontal lobe. And you have to, you know, it took me 10 years to figure out what worked right for me. Um, but this, it quiets down all of that. Yeah, it but, took me a long time to find an antidepressant that worked. Yeah. I was just so relieved. But I know people who have taken my antidepressant that it, it did not work for them. So it's... Yeah, everybody is so different with that. And I used to tell... Um, um, cause I worked as a medical assistant for about 20 years and now I work in a pathology laboratory and, uh, patients would be concerned about even telling the doctor about it. And I would say, listen, um, they'd say, Oh, you know, so-and-so I know with a mental illness, they, um, they can never find out what works for them. You know, they've tried and tried and tried and tried. And I'm like, well, just because that happened to that person doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. You have to try and you have to keep trying because I know for a fact that there is a combo that works for everybody individually. And I was just lucky enough to find mine. It took forever, Yeah, but no, you can, you will. Like, yeah, it took, this is the ninth medication I've tried and it yeah. my depression. It does help the other things a little bit, but um, not, and I'm one dose away from the max on it too. And um, it doesn't, it doesn't, but it doesn't help. The manic phases are less uh-huh. for sure. They happen. Well, they were before the quarantine. Now they're happening. Like I'd say once a week, I don't sleep for two days. Yeah. Um, and I used to just take Ambien to make myself sleep, but I, and then I got addicted to that. And that was a whole nother problem. Also, yeah. I can't take Ambien if I'm all alone because if there's a fire, I'll die. I, right. um, I can't save myself if I did wake up. So I can't take Ambien unless I have another adult that's going to be in the bed next to me, not on Ambien. Um, yeah, so that was the solution. I mean, Xanax helped, but of course, and that's another addiction. Yeah, it is. And so I, I haven't found anything that the side effects I can handle is really, yeah. is. Uh, but I'm willing to try. <laughs> I think yeah. now would be a good time maybe to try because if it works under these extreme situations, this extreme mm-hmm. situation I'm in, then it's going to definitely work when I'm not out there. And also if it does have some sort of, adverse effect uh that is unpleasant for me or other in the house yeah and no one else will be affected by it and i have enough you know my mom's concerned with me i would talk to my mom about it she's concerned with me meddling with my medications right now because i am alone and there's nobody there to um call for help for me if i get to a state where i am not going to call for help for myself but i i am to a point with my mental illness that I know it well enough and I know myself well enough um, that I know when I'm getting bad to, mm-hmm. to stop it. And, and I know where to reach out for help and I know how to get it. If yeah. I, it, I will just straight up drive myself to the emergency room or yeah. scenario. And I know to do that. And so, um, and I have done that, you know, in the past. And so, you know, I just walk into an emergency room and say, I, I feel like I'm going to hurt myself if I'm left alone any longer. Yeah, I've done that. Mm-hmm. And um, I need, you know, I just need someone to watch me. And then I've been in emergency rooms where they just, they called their psych person down and they talked to me and, and I was able to just go home and I was fine. And then I had times where I had to be admitted for a day or two or mm-hmm. um, whatever. I know, you know, I would almost, I would almost 
be completely down for just being admitted to somewhere and trying medications under medical care. I did that. I was in the hospital for like 14 days one time. And that was just so they could figure out the medication issue because I was I had severe uh, suicidal thoughts after I was taking all of those medications that crazy psychiatrists had prescribed me. And I thought it was uh, me getting worse, but in reality, it was the medications, um, it was the side effects, and it wasn't really me. And so I think um, that's, that's uh, another thing that scares people from getting help and taking their medication every day, is all of that. I think that I, um, I mean, I had a lot happen, like the quarantine happened, comedy got taken away, me and that dude broke up. And then I got a job and got fired from it all within like yeah. the first three weeks of this shit, like March, yeah. uh, the middle of March till the first week of April was really fucking hard. Mm -hmm. And I did get really low and I called my mother and I wish I hadn't worried her, but it, it turned out to be good because I've never really discussed it that, that deeply with my mother. But I told her that if, cause she always says, you know, you love, you know, it would destroy me if you killed yourself. It would destroy your children. Think about them. And I said, well, right now, mom, to be honest with you, in my sick mind, I think if you really love me, you let me go. Yeah. That's the illness. When she that, that that that's what my brain is telling me. And yeah. I, I know, and I know, I know I'm not going to kill myself, mom, just to say that I'm not going to kill yeah. myself. I'm not going to act on it. But that is, you have to understand that that is what my brain's telling me. And yeah. some people's brains tell them that, that people would be better off without them. And I don't think that at all. Um, but I do think if they really love me, they would let me, let me go. And I w wouldn't want me to be tortured anymore. And when I find somebody that is finally given in and killed themselves, um, like Anthony Bordeaux or whatever, who seems Anthony Bourdain, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he, you know, people that don't have it, they don't understand it. And I was like, you know, he, he just lost his battle with mental illness. Yeah. And, um, he got everything he ever wanted and was doing everything he needed to, to control his mental illness as best he could. And it still wasn't enough, you know? And so I understand that. And for me, I have the same responses when someone dies of cancer. Um, it's sad, but at least they're not in pain anymore, you know? And, and so, uh, yeah, I just have a different, not, and I wouldn't kill myself, but I, I said that to my mom. I was like, if I had cancer, you would be grateful when I died because I wouldn't be in pain anymore. Right. And, uh, she's like, well, that's different. And I'm like, well, not in not my, really, yeah. it's not still in my sick brain. Yeah. Not in my sick brain. It's not, it's not any different. And so. Yeah. So obviously I still need something more than what I'm on. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really know. I've never really given therapy a try, but honestly, I really am able to figure stuff out on my own. I mean, I have a friend that's going to, you know, she's almost done with school to be a, a therapist and stuff. And I stayed with her for a little while when I moved here in Thornton. And uh, I was like, if I'm able to reach these conclusions, people reaching in therapy on their own, do I need to go to a therapist? And she's like, no, I get, I mean, not really. I mean, cause you were, that's one of the reasons people go to a therapist because yeah. they're able to do that. But, but that's because I'm an overthinker. Yeah. <laughs> Just think about it. Think about it. Why am I like this? Why am I like this? So this is why I'm like this. Yeah. 
let's research it on Google. Yeah, I think for me, it's part meant, it's part just a chemical imbalance I was born with by heredity, um, coupled with a couple of very traumatic events in my life that changed yep. the history of my brain. Um, and so I think it's just a combination of both things. And I think that I have been able to work through the trauma parts of it on my own, but I can't work out on my own the chemical imbalance in my brain. Exactly. That was caused by those traumas and that was caused by just the way my brain's wired to begin with. And so the only thing that's going to help that is medication. Yeah. Going to, to stabilize those chemicals. And it's really, you just got to try all the different medications until yeah. you got to find a good doctor yeah. uh, um, that's willing to, 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 to work with you on it. Um, and I like to find therapists who, who aren't drug pushers who, because yeah. my kids were, my eldest son has autism. Mm -hmm. He's at like Asperger's a fairly mild case, but he also had a lot of therapy and I found a good therapist. So who knows what well, he, he's 19 now, mm -hmm. uh, who knows what it would have been like if he had never got therapy and someone just tried to beat it out of him, you know, and yeah. um, my younger child has ADHD and my oldest, he was five. He was in kindergarten. His teacher was a third grade teacher. So she didn't have the patience for small children to begin with really. And she was like, he has ADHD. And so she filled out her questionnaire with that slant on it. And mm -hmm. I filled out mine. We went to the doctor. He couldn't sit still during the thing, but what five-year-old could. Um, we met for one hour with a doctor. Then they set us up with, a, um, with the nurse lady to, to put him on drugs immediately. And I was talking to her and I was like, isn't there anything we can do besides medication to try first? And, and I brought up Asperger's and she was like, no, he's playing fine with his little brother. He doesn't have Asperger's. And I'm like that. And that turns out that doesn't mean anything. It's because his little brother knows how to not trigger him. Right. And so, um, she said there's behavior modification therapy, but that takes a lot of work on the part of the parent. And I was like, well, tell me what it is. I want to try it at least before yeah. I give my five-year-old medication. And, um, so I just left and I threw away the prescription and, um, tried some stuff on my own, did some research and reading. And, um, so this is another way overthinking helps me. Um, but I, you know, so I just really delved into Asperger's and ADHD and the differences. And, and that's how I discovered that I think thought that's how I started thinking my youngest had ADHD. But, um, then I just, I got real lucky and found basically the, the best person I could find in the state of Kansas happened to be in Wichita and on my network, I happened to find him. Um, and he just made a huge difference in my kid's life. Like it, it, it would have been a night and day situation. He mostly trained me on how to raise a person that has Asperger's. Yeah. Um, but he helped him too. And he did, a, he did a lot of testing. Mm -hmm. Um, he was like, I don't even want to discuss medication until I, I have a proper diagnosis and to do that. I need to do all these testing. So we spent, we spent, you know, he went twice a week for a month just doing testing. Um, you know, and I, I don't remember how much the insurance paid, but I paid a thousand dollars all that testing. And I was lucky enough to be able to have a thousand dollars to pay for the testing, you know? Yeah. And, um, he got a proper diagnosis. And then even then, you know, so by then this time he's like seven, even then we still were trying to do it without medication. Um, and then eventually, um, it was his anger issues 
were the were like the last remnant of the that we couldn't seem to get under control with like behavior modification and therapy. Mm-hmm. So they started on like a low dose um, antidepressant. I don't remember what it was. It helped a little bit, but then we started them on it. We ended up starting on ADHD medication, um, Concerta. But we had a long discussion about them and I went home and I read all about the one different ones and I decided which, you know, I did my homework on the medications and talked to other people whose children in groups who was on it. And I did all this research and then I was like, I picked Concerta and we put him on it and it really helped him. But then when he reached middle school and he started changing classes, he didn't need it anymore. So he went off. Mm-hmm. And so we put my younger son on it too, who by that time, uh, he had ADHD and it was, he almost kept getting hit by cars because he would just bolt across the street. And he was also like playing with fire. And so like, it was starting to be dangerous. I could handle him and the mm-hmm. school could not handle him. So we put him on medic- the same medication mm-hmm. um, and it worked really well for him. And then he quit in middle school and he put, should have still been on it, but he was 12. And so I just, I wasn't gonna force him to take medication. Right. Uh, he graduated high school this year. Nice. So uh, it turned out okay. Um, did he graduate with a really good GPA like he probably could have if he was taking drugs? No, but he doesn't care. And yeah. um, I saw a meme before I got put in Facebook jail. Um, and it said that my child's mental illness is more important than their grades. Mm-hmm. And he definitely had the intelligence and the ability and with the Concerta, um, the ability to concentrate to get good grades but he didn't like the way it made him feel yeah. um, and it made him not able to eat and he was super skinny and he didn't like the way it made him feel. And so he refused to take it. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to force you to take it. And he just struggled in school, but he didn't, he struggled in school, but he didn't come home to somebody who was making him feel bad about it. I just was like, just pass your classes. Just, yeah. that's all I want. Just pass yeah, yeah. your classes, get the piece of paper. We're not going to worry about your GPA. You're not going to get scholarships. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Um, just, just pass your classes in yeah. high school. And, you know, and so I just quit paying attention to his school. I quit. I didn't get on them about homework and um, the teachers would be like, I give him two or three chances to do his homework and he doesn't do it. And, and, and I was like, why are you giving him two or three chances? Just give him a zero. And they were like, if I did that, he'd be failing all his classes. And I was like, well then fail him. If that's what his efforts are right providing fail i'm not going to drag him through i can't make him do his homework he's 13 years old yeah i supposed to do and so uh he has to be self-motivated at some point and he did and so like the post i made when he graduated high school because people were congratulating me Mm -hmm. and i was like it's don't congratulate me i quit karen when he was 12. yeah um he graduated high school because he did the work and he did the bare minimum but did did it And he did it on his own. He didn't do it with any hassle from me. I haven't paid attention to their grades. I don't even look at their report cards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, it's, well, I care with my other kid, but that's because he had aspirations to be, he wants to be an accountant and be a CPA and, and he has different aspirations. Yeah. And, and I didn't, I cared in a way that I was more like, well, if you want, if you have these goals, you're going to need good grades to reach these goals. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't care, but if you care, you're going to want to have good grades. So I would remind him of that, you know, occasionally, but 
yeah, you just kind of got, I wasn't going to force my kids to take medication, but you just got to find the right therapist or the right doctor, which is hard. Yeah, it is. I haven't found one here. I've never found one anywhere. There was one in Wichita I kind of liked right before I left. Mm -hmm. She was pretty good, but I haven't found anybody here. I um actually I did therapy for a year with uh there was this place in Tampa called the Crisis Center and it's like um like a health department funded specifically for people who are victims of trauma or childhood abuse or whatever uh to come get um therapy and I did that for a year and it was super hard and then at the end of it I had to like write letters to my parents and like let go of them and and all of that was it was a shitty year but let me tell you, that is off my back. It's off my back now. Those are the kind of organizations I'm wanting to work with, with the nonprofit, yeah. to get my students from. Um, people who have done the work and are out of the depths of the trauma. I don't want to like spring in on somebody that, you know, just revealed their rape to the Rape Crisis Center. And right. Just, hey! Um, you know, but like the women, yeah. they'll know who their women, the women are that would benefit from this. Um, and who to refer to it and stuff like that. So I want to like partner with those organizations to, to, to get, to reach those women to kind of just move them on to the next phase of their treatment, the next phase of, right. of their therapy, um, and take all those things I, they've learned, all that work they've done and be able to take it out into the world. I think a good resource for that would probably be, um, DV shelters because they, um, refer their clients to those types of therapists a lot. And so they probably have like preferred um, vendors for that sort of thing. So I'm sure there's somebody, are you in Denver now? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you could probably find yeah. them. I want to get some of them on the podcast, but I want yeah. to get it. I'm about to move. If I'm going to interview those kind of people, one, I want the video and I want to have my setup more pretty like yours uh, or something. I got to have a better backdrop. I, I, yeah. At least a green screen, something. Yeah. And so I, I have ideas for how to set that up in the van to have a decent background. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I want, I want to have that. The audio from this has been okay. Good enough for me. I'm sure like audio people would be like the quality, but yeah. Um, it's been fine enough for me. And I also would like to, um, go into prisons. Uh huh. I think that would be, um, you know, just go in there and teach, you know, the people that they've deemed okay to do it. Maybe people that are in there for two or three years for like nonviolent things. Yeah. Thing, you know, and just to teach them comedy because I think that, um, I'm, I mean, as an overthinker, see, man, the overthinking is so helpful. I can, it, it, also gives me a lot more empathy because I can, I'm just like imagining myself in prison, especially now with this situation. Yeah. I know it's not prison, but just to, to give them something because I know that I've dated a lot of addicts and alcoholics. And I have, a, I, that's kind of the crew I ran with as kids. So I've watched them go through it. And um, if you don't have any hope for a better life, why not get high? Why yeah. not get drunk? Why right. not? And so I think that if it can give them a bowl or something to think about when they, they want to get out of prison so that they can go to an open mic, so they can take this and go to a real stage with a real audience, maybe yeah. figure out a way to give them a real audience at least once for a graduate yeah. show, stuff like that. 
that that'll make them more behaved in prison because they want to get out and that'll make them want to be better when they are out and that'll make them uh if nothing else rewire their brain to think about trauma and bad things in a different light to where they're finding the funny in situations instead of wanting to you know be violent towards somebody yeah so yep i think it could be a very good thing and you know if I make some comedians out of it that get famous. Yeah, right on. Right on. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm trying to do as much as I can to keep it. I got my, I, when I came back from Kansas a couple of days ago, I got the letter in the mail from the IRS that it's officially a nonprofit. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. It's been a, it's been a process that I've done. I've been doing, not by myself, because I, I, I just, here's what I did last year. Uh, when I decided to move here and I did think of it while I was on an Ambien and had coding for my tonsils being out and Xanax and white wine in my system. But I uh, was laying under a blue and white towel and I was talking about how my blue and white friends were talking to me and they were telling me that I don't need a plan. I just Mm -hmm. need to go and let the universe provide. Mm -hmm. And then once I was sober, I was like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> that's the stupidest thing I, I'm a planner okay uh-huh. I think of every scenario mm-hmm. I'm not just gonna move to Denver on a whim um but then I did I just I mm-hmm. I, I quit the job I hated I divorced the husband I hated I uh set my kids up because they were you know junior and senior in high school um and then I waited for my son to graduate and then I left and mm-hmm. kind of left before and um I went to Nebraska for a couple months and I was like, no, I need to be in Denver. And so I came here and lived in my SUV for six months. But I I started this attitude of just like trying to just as a way to just cope with my overthinking to just let the universe like not worry about that because the universe is going to provide because I have I've made it through all these things and I survived them and I'm on the other side of them and I'm fine. Yeah. I, I, I survived the worst thing that's ever happened to me, um, which I'm not going to get into because we've already been talking for so long, but I can survive this. And so I'm just going to go and I'm going to let the universe provide. And the universe provided me with a woman um, that runs a nonprofit that helps nonprofits called mm-hmm. okay Go or a nonprofit Go. And she has guided me through this whole entire um, process which is advice. I mean, I wrote things, but she's, you know, and so she's told me what the next steps are. And then I do that mm-hmm. step and then I come back and I'm like, okay, that's good. And, then, and so mm-hmm. she's really helped me. Um, and so I, I don't think I would have been able to do it without her support because it's a process and there's a lot to it. Just the bylaws. Um, People have degrees specifically just on how to handle a not-profit, not-for-profit organization. So it's a lot. Yeah. And so now I'm like, I mean, I'm out there and I'm putting things out, but I really am. I feel like the universe is going to provide me with the right people Mm -hmm. to make this happen at the right time for it to happen. If I'm open to it and I'm out there and I'm trying to make it happen. Yeah. Um, And, and I've met lots of people on this podcast that um, like I have a friend up in, she's a comedian. She's up in North Colorado. I didn't know that she started improv as a troubled youth. And that's mm-hmm. another part of it that I want to do. And so she's like, you know, she could probably definitely be a teacher for troubled youth. Yeah. So when I'm ready for that phase of it, I, ha- I have a teacher. 
Right. Because I don't want to be the teacher. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not empathetic enough. I don't know. I just, I, I, I think I would crush people's dreams and be negative and make it sound so hard. And they would be like, I can't do it. You know? So I didn't, I think I would scare people away from mm -hmm. it at a certain point. And so, um, because I do want to take this like nationally, it's like my big dream and just have little like teachers in every city, just building more and more and more female. Yeah. Weird. Um, so, but then they all have their like areas of expertise. Like the one here, Denver, has Chrissy Buckley, who she has males that go to her class, but it's mostly females. And she mm -hmm. and she's producing. She's helping some really really funny women get out there. And the the, the three that I've seen come out of her scene are so good. Um, yeah, we had one on the podcast already. They're they're already so good. And so I think like she'd be a great one for for women. And then I have another one in North Colorado. I'm trying, there's, there's an option in South Colorado in Colorado Springs that's uh, at the community college, but I don't know if that would be right to send everybody to because it's a man. Right. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I just think some women might be more comfortable in an all female environment, especially if you're talking about dealing with trauma victims and domestic violence victims. And, but there are domestic violence victims that are women on women. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's definitely, I've, yeah, I've been in group therapy with those chicks, man. Which is a voice we don't hear. We don't hear that yeah. side of domestic violence. And the only way we're going to hear that side of domestic violence is if those people's voices are heard. And one way for those people's voices to be heard is through comedy and through, yeah. and through the, you know, the media. And that's how you get those voices heard that, and break stereotypes and get those kinds of things out there. I mean, and there are men that are abused by women. Um, maybe yeah. not physically as much as just mentally. And I know someone who is in the middle of that with a woman mm -hmm. and, it's, and I've seen it and it's more of a, you know, mental fuck, but um, it's the same thing if they were, because if they were a woman and that was a man, I would tell them get out. Yeah. Because I feel like your life might be in danger soon. They're controlling you. They're controlling everything you do. Mm -hmm. you need to get out. This is unsafe but because it's a man and she's a woman. I don't feel like his physical safety is, right this is necessarily in danger but his mental safety is yeah sure um, yeah so but you know i just i really focus on the others that the voices we don't hear yeah because that's how i've been helped as a person is to hear those voices and to be like oh that's how i feel too yeah you know? and you just feel like less of a freak mm -hmm. very few people's stories are unique to just them it's true and need to get as many stories out there as possible yep so that's really the goal that's like the large it's not in our mission statement our mission statement it's me i say we and are but so far it's just me i mean i have a board <laughs> obviously but yeah i'm pretty excited about it i don't sound like i am i know my face doesn't look excited but I am. I'm just not. I don't express excitement like normal people. I'm like, oh, depends on the depends on the day for me. I did once find out I made it in a comedy contest, uh, and that not that said I made it, but that it was I didn't win. But I found out I came in fourth. 
Nice. And I was like, I made this noise and I did this mm-hmm. little thing. I was like, yeah. and I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Is that what excitement looks like? Because I don't like that. <laughs> okay. We definitely got everything. I'm glad you stopped us to talk about that. That is important. That's part of the whole point. Yeah. I get off track, which really is just punishing myself because now I have to do so much editing, but it's worth it. Cause I think that it gets me the, the footage I need, like yeah. documentary, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you talk to them about all sorts of stuff and then you put in the stuff that matters to the documentary. Yes. There's a lot of processing. Yeah. I want to get into film too. Man, my festival, which I think I'm going to get to have happen still. I have a film in it this year it's like a dark comedy but it's written and directed and starred in by women and a sketch group and an improv group and that's awesome i want it to be more than stand-up i want it to be entire because it's the art of comedy and that art has many different forms yes it does and they're all welcome i love improv. i love they all and i think they all have the same they all have the same benefit that's why i'm like want to teach people improv if they want to do improv or stand-up because they all, in the end, have the same benefit for people of giving them this outlet and, and, and just art. When somebody is an artist and they're not doing their art, um, you know, it's torturous. And so I think, like, because for me, when I did comedy for the first time, I came off the stage transformed into a different yeah. immediately, immediately. And, um, yeah, and it just, it's just been... It's, it's the love of my life, comedy. Mm-hmm. And I am perfectly fine being in an open polyamorous relationship with it. And the more yeah. people that I can get to love comedy and get the love of comedy back, uh, the better. Yeah. It's all about love, man. Peace and trust the universe. I think like that's my next phase. Like I go through phases every few years. Uh-huh, I get it. So I think I'm going to try hippy dippy. Usually yeah. what happens with the phases is like I was super religious and I swung super atheist and now I'm swinging back to the middle. So what I'm going to do is like live in a van and get super hippie. And then I'll get <laughs> tired of that for after a while. And yeah. then come back to a place of more equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah. So I think hippie dippy is my next phase for sure. You need I some like, skirts. I like the, well, I'm shaving my head so I don't have to worry about washing it, but I like the whole like uh, simpleness of it. Like not. Yeah not bathing and no, uh, conserving water and, you know, not being so consumed with the way you look or smell. Yeah. Who's got time for smells? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I put on deodorant today. I did shower. Oh, that's good. I washed my armpits. At least that's a win. <laughs> that's a win right now. Yeah. But yeah. This is really good. I was really glad to talk to you and I hope that, you know, you can make it to Denver someday. Yeah. I'm not going to promise I'll make it to Sioux Falls. Maybe I will. You really need to just start your own thing there. Oh, oh, I already have all of that under control. I'm going to tell you because I think you're a cool chick, but I'm going to start my own uh, little production uh, company called Prairie Madness. Yeah. And um, I want to put together um, a comedy camp out which is like an evening wherever we all descend upon someplace where they have like those, uh, those big camping group camping and it has like an amphitheater and stuff and have like our own little comedy festival outside. Yeah. Having a comedy compound as part of the nonprofit. 
that the nonprofit owns where we do just like intensive week long camping. Yeah. Like intensive week long. Like we live in a cabin. It's a summer camp. Yeah. Adults, and it's just immersive in comedy. Yes. Yeah. Cause that's the two things I love the most is camping and comedy. And I, I want to do those things together. I didn't used to like camping. Mm-hmm. I love it in Colorado. Um, I, I found a lake I really liked in Lincoln, uh, Nebraska, and uh-huh. living in my SUV for six months. Now I really like it. In the, yeah. Yeah. I love being outside. I do. I love being outside. That's why I want the van is because if I'm going to be all alone right now, I'd rather go do it in nature. So I'm going to go. Absolutely. Yeah find a lake or something and just chill there till the shit's over. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, um, no, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working on that. I'm hoping maybe to do that. I'm going to give myself a year, um, to get all of that worked out. So hopefully maybe like the end of next summer. Yeah. Just one okay. night, something simple, you know, you know, if you ever want to start teaching comedy and start a little, it's uh, find some people and we can partner with some people in South Dakota. Oh yeah. That scene needs more female comics. Girl, you are not wrong. You are abs. There's me and like two other chicks and that's it. And then one open mic, this girl came and she was fucking hilarious. And then the next asshole that came up, his whole set was about all the disgusting things he was going to do to her. And I almost punched that guy in the face. I was so pissed. That's exactly what happened to me. And she never came back. And I don't want to go back. Yeah. If, but if I knew that there was this being built there, if there was a female scene, essentially, because it's going to have to be built initially separate yeah. from everybody else, I would go back because yeah. Sioux Falls is a great, could have a great comedy scene yes. in its location because a lot of comics travel through there. Absolutely. Go to other places. That's how I've gone through. That's how I know Sioux Falls comedians is because I've gone yeah. through there and they come through Wichita. And, and so, um, yeah, a lot of, it's a, place where a lot of people drive through and it, it could yeah. be a, it could be a really decent scene i mean it's not gonna be denver but it could be a really good scene yeah but, like there's some good comics here some of these yeah. guys are fucking hilarious but it's scaring women off it is and luckily i'm one of those bitches that if you're not gonna scare me off i'm gonna come do my own good. thing you know good. so no i tend yeah. to be down if you ever get to a point where you want to partner with art of comedy and teach classes up there and Oh, absolutely. Girl, just ask me. That's all. Just, yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to get Denver under, underway. Yeah. And start having, so that way I can go to other places and, and have more of a, although it might be good to start in a smaller place and learn my mistakes there. Yeah. Um, but I tried to do it in Wichita, but there's no one that I like. My brother is the only person that I would want, that I would associate my nonprofit with in that way. And he right. has interest in teaching. And he's the kind of guy that I would have that could teach women. He's a real, I hate the alpha and beta, but he, he's, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah. And he's, um, he's somebody that I would send women to safely. Yeah. Um, but he has no interest in doing it. So, and I yeah. have to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I absolutely would, man. Yeah. It's not my thing. Cool. I'll keep that in mind. That's great. Mm-hmm. Be a great place. I know, like Omaha, I could start something. I know in now Sioux Falls, I could start something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely some places like I'm in New York, like not in mm-hmm. New York City, but out in like Rochester. Yeah, somebody I could have a teacher there. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I want to get teachers in place before I worry about getting the students are there. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. the students are there. There, I really don't think once I can get it going, it's going to be too hard to find students. But yeah, I want to find. And then it gets another. It gives you an income. The nonprofit would pay you, you know, to teach them. Um, and so it helps. And well, we've got this really cool place here in downtown called the Multicultural Center. And so it's a place where we have a lot of immigrants um, in Sioux Falls, a lot of people from Somalia and Ethiopia and Ghana and places like that. But we also, you know, we've got a lot of Native Americans. And so they go there for like, you know, they have group therapy and like activities and that sort of thing. So I think the Multicultural Center would probably, it's not only a great space to host something like that, but it's also a great space to find clients and guests who want that kind of service. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, I think that like, initially, I might try just um, having people that want to submit that want to do a class and submit to it. Um, yeah, to to receive the scholarship and, you know, maybe interview them or something. And, and I don't want to reject people for a scholarship. But you know, I just want to make sure that that especially the first one. Yeah is the right fit, you know, like the Rosa Parks of my nonprofit. <laughs> right. I find my Rosa Parks. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm just thinking on different ideas on how to best do it. Of course, I'm, I overthink it, and then I loop myself around to why it won't work, and then I'm like, no, it will work, and then I loop myself around. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's another reason why these podcasts have been very helpful is because I'm talking with other women and they give me ideas and then I talk with women like you and I'm like, oh, yeah. And it's just, it is validation because I know I have a good idea. Yeah. And I know that it will work. Yeah, yeah. That comedy will help women and, you know, the others. I know it will. Yes. Not all of them, but I know it's going to help them. The ladies and the queers. We got to get them together and learn how to do some comedy help me and and I was like well just because it helped you doesn't mean it helps everybody Helen so I was like well let's do these interviews and let's just you know it's like a scientific experiment right collect data and collect stories of how it helped them how it helped them how it helped them yeah and and that's what I'm using this podcast for because I don't have the stories of actual students but if I can get this podcast out there and get it on you know the website and stuff Mm -hmm there'll be stories for people to listen to and then that might move them to donate money. Yes. That's, you got to reach. Cause I've been reading a lot. I really immerse myself when I do something. I'm like tenacious with it, you know? Yeah. Which is part of my overthinking too. But, you know, I have an entrepreneurial spirit and I think a lot of comedians, you have to have that. And yeah. so um, I'm willing to take risks and I yeah. to try things. And if they don't work, I'll learn from it and then I'll get better. And so yeah, this nonprofit is like my fucking because it's also I couldn't latch that much attention onto something that wasn't comedy related because I feel like it would be taken like, away from the comedy. Taken away from the comedy, but I found a way to to have an entrepreneurial type business because nonprofits are a business. I can eventually yep. get paid. A, I'm not gonna. I don't need. And that's thing. I don't need a lot of money. Thirty, forty thousand a year. I'm happy. You know. Yeah. And so I can, I can make a living off of it. I can help other comedians make a living off of it. I can help people heal from their trauma. And, and I, I really like working with new comedians. I like helping people build their careers. And I mean, I don't think I'm going to be a famous comedian, but I think that I could definitely help people become famous. Yeah. So, you know, 
because I have the business background. I didn't start comedy till I was 38. I have degrees in business and marketing and stuff. And I have a background in accounting and, and these things that I can bring to the table to help myself and other comedians uh, on the business side of things. And so maybe I'll manage people someday or something. I don't know. Right. But I love doing all of that. And so mm -hmm. I found with this nonprofit, though, I don't need to be a manager, but with this nonprofit, I found a way to do all the things yeah. that I love and that I'm good at and that I excel at and that I'm passionate about and that mm -hmm. I feel good doing. Because I don't want to, like, that was my problem with having a day job. I don't want to work some, like, I, I was an accountant for a high-end jewelry store. And I just, <laughs> wow. Like, part like part of the problem and I just yeah it made me sick seven hundred fifty thousand dollar washes I was like I I don't I'm not a consumer I, I don't feel passionate about this at all and yeah. now I'm I've done two interviews with the National Renewable Energy Lab um which is actually managed by a nonprofit and mm -hmm. the government has contracted with a nonprofit that was formed specifically to run the National Renewable Energy Lab to kind of have an extra layer of oversight um, but yeah, I think, and that's like the only job that I want if I'm going to take a day job, but I, I like what they're doing in the lab. Like that's the future. That's, that's part of what might save humanity is renewable energy. Yeah. So I can go to work every day and, and know I'm part of that in the way that I can be, which is doing accounts payable. And yeah. So, um, but I know I can be part of the solution instead of continuing to be part of the problem. Right. So I found a way to do that with comedy with this nonprofit and, and I'm very, very excited and passionate about it. And um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of other places I would like to help people like um, comics who are trying to be sober mm -hmm. after doing comedy for a long time, because I've watched some of them, they go and they, 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 they needed the alcohol to get up there and they're not, they're not confident anymore without mm -hmm. the alcohol. So, you know, if they could have a class that was more geared towards somebody who already knows the business, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there could be some way that it could be worked out to maybe basically teach them comedy. Um, yeah. Well, there's this guy I know, uh, William Conway, and he does uh, some showcases occasionally at bosses and they're, uh, they, he calls them the boozeless, the boozeless comedy yeah. show. Andy and Gold is a comedian has a lot of sober comedy yeah and so i've done i did one of those uh for him one time and that was that was lots of fun and there's lots of people out there trying to be sober that want to have adult fun without alcohol being right so i think there's a whole way that that art of comedy could get involved with that to help um by classes and stuff like that and i think yeah that, you know the troubled youth and you know there's so many different there's so many different you know and then you start getting into cultures like getting more native American, um, comedians out there. And yeah, I'm, you know, after being up here and like, that's, uh, I didn't realize what a big population they had here. Yeah. Um, but come on, man, there's gotta be like, really, there's no native American comedians coming to the open mics when there's like, you know, how many thousands of them that live in this town? It just seems ridiculous to me. There's, there's a, there's one here and there's, um, I've met a couple along the way when traveling around, but and there's actually like a small like festival for it down, I think in New Mexico, mm -hmm. um, that I met at, I met the, the person that works with the nonprofit. She was up here in, um, she was up here at High Plains, like scouting basically. 
Um, and so I met her and she told me about that nonprofit or that, that festival. And that's amazing. And so, and then I interviewed a woman who's in LA, who's starting to, um, basically her show is going to be about people doing comedy in, in a different language, not English, but, you know, and she's, um, you know, Middle Eastern. And, mm -hmm. and I met another woman that's, um, Middle Eastern that lives in, in New York, but yeah, just the Middle Eastern, especially women, mm -hmm. um, key medians, you see to break the stereotypes of what Middle Eastern women are right? and Muslim women are and yeah. their stories out there to see, you know, and just, there's so many freaking voices that need yeah. to be heard that aren't being heard. And I think that, that the art of comedy will eventually, um, hopefully in the grand scheme, envelop all of those people. Um, basically, for the most part, anybody but cisgender, straight, white males. Yeah. And African-American males um, and Hispanic males. I think we have enough of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I like um, every, it seems like every show in the Midwest, it's four white guys. Yeah. And I'm like, really, there's not, I mean, I get it. There's a lot of white people here, but there's also a lot of other people. Like, why are those the guys being the, and it's like the same four dudes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah, weird. And so, yeah, there's a lot of other voices that need to be heard. Yeah. And so just focusing on those people, um, the others, and it's not that I have any, I don't have, it's not that I hate, you know, I get accused of being racist against my own, against white people. I actually am in Facebook jail right now for saying most men are hoes. I've been in Facebook jail for saying white people are garbage. Um, so, but it's not that, it's not that I don't, not that they're not funny or they're not good. Or I think these other people are funnier. It's just, we already have enough of them. Right. It's enough now. Thanks. Thing. And society likes variety. Society yeah. wants shows to be, especially in places like Denver and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think they want it here. And I think that if you can get it in front of audiences in these smaller cities, it can help them be more open-minded and diverse and just oh, absolutely. experiences. And, and comedy is my art form. So comedy is the way that I want to, there's yeah. lots of ways you can do that, but comedy is my way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, that I, I think I really got something here, you know? I agree with you, man. I agree with you. You're not the only chick out there with the same, uh, yeah. with the same idea and the same goals, you know, like yeah. different uh, markets, different populations where you want to help. But yeah, I've got the same, the same ideas. And I think that's pretty awesome. I think as a partner, we could just grow stronger for the, the comedy civil war. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cause there's going to be one. Well, there already what this summer, man, in Denver, um, was a real there was this real like pushback from people wanting to not be so pc and so it became yeah. like pc people versus non-pc people and it was just like you're trying to and it's so stupid yeah not, like throw the fuck up they're not funny and i was no. trying to explain to them that yeah bill burr's says shit but bill burr's funny and he's he is he's a genius joke writer yeah not an asshole in real life yeah he does, you know what I mean? Like he is, but you know what I mean? Like at the end of the right. day, he's got it. He's got a good heart. I think he's not, he comes off as a, right. but, but 
but these are people that are like that in their real life. They truly think those things about women. They yes, you know? there's a lot of those guys, man. And and they're not funny. And then and no. Denver, not the not just the Denver comedy scene, but the Denver audiences don't want that. So yeah. they're not getting booked because producers know that that's not what their audience wants. And then they're like, well, it's all just about money, huh? I was like, yeah, about putting butts in seats when you're a producer. And so right. I'm like, if you don't, if you don't think. If you think there's an audience for your crap, your garbage comedy, you say there is, go get it. Go produce shows. Yeah. Go do your own mics if you don't like being banned from mics for things you say. Go go start your own scene. Don't try to force yourself into ours, into our audiences that don't want right. you. If you really think, go do the work because it's not easy to produce stuff. Yeah. Don't fucking work. Yeah. You know, so, so go do it. I encourage it. Go start an all men's comedy festival. Do it. Yeah. Do it. I thought that was just comedy festivals in general. <laughs> yeah. Where's our, where's our festival? Exactly. I'm like, if you want to go label a comedy festival, all men, think of something funny, like, you know, bringing back the balls or whatever you want to fuck. Yeah, fuck ball jam, 2021. Go. I bet you there is an audience for it. Mm -hmm. They're not people I want to hang out with or perform with, but there is those idiots out there. There's more idiots like you that want to... You know, just start trolling Joe Rogan fan pages. You'll find them, you know? Uh -huh. They're out there. So go build your audience and go do it. Yeah. Go, I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to censor you. I'm not trying to tell you you can't fucking speak. You know, you have First Amendment rights. That's true. Yeah. But I am i can tell you that you won't say it on my stage. I can't yeah. tell you that you won't say it on a stage that I control. No. Um, so go make your own stage that you control and let whoever you want up there and see if you get an audience. You won't do it in the city of Denver, but you'll right. do it somewhere. Go up to Greeley, go up to Fort Collins, yeah. go, go out in the middle of nowhere, go down to Pueblo. You'll find them. They're there. They're not here. You know, yeah. so go do the work and they're not gonna. No, because that's their whole personality type. They're not gonna. No. Gotta do the work, man. Mm -hmm. Females are just more professional in general. No, I agree. Yeah, in dealing with them. They just... Ugh. Goes back to I love women, man. <laughs> Just not romantically. <laughs> I love women. I love hanging out with women. If I could just be on an island with all women and no men. I don't know, man. I don't think I could do that. I would be happy except for. Yeah. I But see, there's this like a big part of my personality that that I really, and this is why I love hanging out and doing comedy and stuff is because I can say horrible, awful things and just dress them down and make fun of them and roast them. And it's totally allowed and they give it right back and see, you can't, there's a lot of women that you cannot do that with. They either, it, either it hurts their feelings or they don't know how to um, give it back. Maybe it's just the female comedians in Denver. Okay, Denver comedy is very special. And I yeah. know that I'm biased, but I have <laughs> traveled around and I do have friends in a lot of other comedy scenes that, you know, and I've done a lot of these interviews and discussed other comedy scenes. Mm -hmm. Denver's special, especially when it comes to the women. There are mm -hmm. a lot of women here. They are all very talented. They're all very professional. They're dedicated. And um, they can they can dish it and they can take it and they're they're running the scene pretty much at the moment is being yeah. run by women and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's one of the reasons I wanted to be in Denver and wanted to start my nonprofit here was yeah. 
I know the resources are already here and there's plenty of people for teachers and, and to work with and to collaborate. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, in, in a way that I've never seen, there's none of that mean, there's not really any of that mean girl stuff. I mean, maybe there is, but it's not to a degree that it's not the, it's not the women that are in any sort of power in the scene are yeah. these mean girls that are mean to women. Um, for no reason. They, yeah, it's not like that here either, but there's only three of us. Yeah. It's like me, this chick, uh, Sarah King, um, and this other girl, Regina, and Regina shows up, I don't know, maybe every few months. So most of the time, I'm the only girl at any of these shows. I think if you can just provide a safe space. Yeah. And then I'm told, yeah. Get the word out there for the safe space to other scenes. Yeah. Other scenes that are close to you. Um, and stuff though, you know, Sioux Falls could, could, it, it's a great, it's a great little city. It and is. It's, um, it's a, it's, it's a great little city. And I think that there's the good audience there for it. And I think that it's a good place for, you could get a lot of, you could get a lot of big name comedians traveling through there. That'll do a one yeah. year for your show for tips. Yeah. Um, like in Wichita, I had Mo Alexander through who he headlines shows here all the time for tips because because he happened to be traveling through and it's a Tuesday, why not, you know? Yeah. And so Sioux Falls has that potential, but they have something that Wichita doesn't have, which is a more, for those kinds of cities, liberal, open-minded, yeah, rural, diverse, um,ness that Wichita is lacking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it could be, I think, I think Sioux Falls could be a really good scene with the right, yeah in there i'm very excited that you're there and, <laughs> and that you can you can start that because it needs it real bad yeah i'm working on it <laughs> i've only been here i've only been here almost two years and i'm, well, I'm just from the little i've gotten to know you i feel i feel like you'll you're gonna be like i want to cry because you're gonna be like the savior of sioux falls comedy <laughs> and i i because i love it but i don't want to go there and deal with it yeah yeah, no. Yeah, I totally understand. And it's a pain in the ass, but I've I've really had to polish up my um Especially I don't have to. I don't have to go deal with that stuff. I can just pass and through Sioux Falls and go on with my life. Right. I don't need the stage time like I used to. I'm not desperate for it. So I don't have to deal with that shit anymore. So I don't. So if yeah. it's a scene where I don't feel safe, I just won't go to it. Yeah. It's true. And I've told them and they don't, I don't think they get it. And, you know, I'm going to use this information that I, you know, I didn't realize that it was other women from other cities were coming and feeling that same way. And I feel like super validated. Like, I, don't know how many I felt like I was crazy. And because I, you know, you bring it up to them and they're like, ah, whatever, you yeah. know, like you're just a, you're just a lady, you know? You, yeah. Uh, I think Skylar definitely has a desire to make it better, but he's only yeah. a man. And yeah, he can only do what he can. And so yeah. I think he's definitely a good ally. Yeah. Um, he's a great guy. And there are a lot of other great guys there that will be grateful to not have to deal with it themselves because they have to deal with these assholes. Yeah. They have to deal with women that are their female comedians telling them these stories afterwards. And they don't have any ability to stop all of it, you know? Right. Because it's really like just a complete attitude of the scene has to change. Yes. Um, to where you just, it's kind of like capitalism and, and competition. You just out, you just out comedy them. And those people yeah. will fade away into the underground because um, they're not going to get what they want anymore. 
and you really got to get to a point where people aren't allowing them on their stages. Yes. And nobody is kind of taking that initiative to say, Hey, you're not allowed to come anymore as, and it's been, it's like the guy you were talking about. It's been years since before I got here that there's a pattern of behavior that's no. chasing away these girls. They're used to it. They're like, yeah, that's just Dave or whatever. <laughs> no, that's not just Dave. That guy's an asshole and shouldn't be allowed to hang out He's with not the funny. No, he's not a good comedian anyway. Nope. That's the thing is he's not like some funny comedian that runs shit. And so he's got this power trip and let's treat women like shit. And everyone's afraid to talk to him because he could ruin their career or some shit. He's just some Exactly. I don't get it. It's that whole Midwest nice thing, which I don't have. So, you know, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, but I don't got it either. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have that. I'm way too, um, my parents raised me to not take shit because they were really concerned with me following the crowd and being um, a slave to social pressures. Yeah. They, they did it because of religious things, but it kind of backfired on them. But yeah. so, yeah, but I've been instilled with don't take shit, don't be a follower, don't do stuff just because everybody else is doing, question everything. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, so, and then I just learned to question people's intentions all the time. But yeah, so it's like, I don't take shit either. That's yeah. why I'm the bitch. That's why it's the Fat Lonely Bitch podcast. And I have memes of me with, need someone to be the bad guy? Call 1-800-THE-BITCH. And it's just my, yeah. it was an outtake yeah. from, from headshots where I was just kind of staring into the camera with my arms crossed, waiting to mm -hmm. do something. I was going to smile and he happened to take a picture, but it's just my normal face. Mm -hmm. But I look, I was like, oh, that's the face everyone's talking about. <laughs> you know? Well, that's my face. Um, but yeah, I've done that. That's what I did online with my friend where I got the name for Fat Lonely Bitch is because I know that she's not someone that's going to do that. Mm -hmm. Someone has to be the bad guy or whatever. It's someone true. has to be the agitator. Yep. You don't make change without agitation. and Someone has to be the agitator. And I don't seek to be the agitator. I really don't. But if no one else is going to be, it's like, I don't seek to be the leader in anything ever. I will, right. if there's someone there that I find worthy of following, I will follow them, but mm -hmm. they have to be worthy of it. And if I don't see anybody and I see a problem that needs fixed and I know how to fix it and I don't see anybody else stepping in to do it, I guess I'm the fucking leader. I'll be the agitator if I yeah. have to be. I'm good at it. I can do it. I don't seek it out. I don't want, I don't necessarily want to be the agitator, but if I got to be the agitator, I will. And I think yeah. Sioux Falls needs a real good agitation to clean it up. Well, I'm glad to hear that because um, I've been, you know, you know, you feel, um, you don't feel confident. You know something's wrong and you know how to fix it, but you're not quite sure. Is it just me that feels that way? But, no, you know. You, you definitely 100% have my support on that. It is, you're, you are not crazy. It is a thing. Yeah. I, I. I wonder how many women have been through Sioux Falls and don't want to go through there anymore. I have seen like two or three chicks come to Mike's and then never come back because um, the men were just awful to them. I don't know why nobody was like that to me when I first started, but everybody was super cool and I felt really welcomed. Well, I, I'm not sure what the difference is. I came through Sioux Falls not start I wasn't starting out in comedy I knew Skylar who is you know well known in the scene and I yeah. had friends in the scene and also I was on my way to do a, a president the presidential comedy festival where I was doing where I was in 
a competition with people I knew I couldn't beat, but like some of the, what I call higher ups here in Denver, some of the, the movers and like the, what I say, cause I say like comedy is like a college. So these are people that have like a PhD right. in, in, in DIY and alternative comedy anyway. And yeah. so I was on my way to be their peer in a competition. So I wasn't nobody. And, um, but that one guy. Yeah. I know exactly who you're talking about. But and it was yeah. a man that told me that warned me. It was a man that warned me about him. It was a man that said, Hey, while you were in there, this guy went up after you and he said all this stuff. So, you know, watch out. And that's like, well, then why was he allowed to get up there and say all that stuff? Thank I understand you. freedom of speech. I get yeah. it. Then let that dumbass go start his own mic. Yeah. Where he can speak yeah. because he's scaring women off. And I'm not, I hate to say weak and strong because I don't want to think women are weak, but yeah. I am, I have a high tolerance, I would say. I have a high tolerance for that bullshit. And if it's yeah. enough to make me not want to go, because there's no, if somebody were treating me like that in Denver, it wouldn't make me not want to go to the Denver scene because it's Denver and it's yeah. big and there's a lot of opportunities here. And there's a, but why would I want to take the time to pass through, say, through there again? Exactly. Just keep driving. Yeah. I want to deal with that. Yeah. So, yeah, you're on to something. And I think the art of comedy, you know, we could eventually partner and do some stuff there for sure. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that would be great. So Totally down. Totally down. All right, cool. I think I've kept you long enough. Oh, no. I, kept, I feel like I've kept you long enough. <laughs> I did have an appointment to go get set up a mailbox at the UPS store that I missed, but I don't care. Oh, um, no. Really, so... All right. Well, this is really good. I'm really excited that I yeah. got to talk to you. And this is going to be a good collaboration, I think. And we can really do some good stuff together. Oh, hell yeah. Right on. Clean up right. St. Paul. Not St. Paul. Sioux Falls. Yeah. Clean up. Let's clean up Sioux Falls, man. Let's coming, sweep those. Coming for you, pigs of Sioux Falls. <laughs> yeah, we are. You better watch out. We're not going to be mean to you or anything, but we're going to crowd you out with others. Yeah, so much vagina. You won't even know what's smother going on. Smother you with the fucking vagina. Yes. We're going to smother out your misogynistic bullshit with the vagina. <laughs> Fupa's out for Harambe. Yes. <laughs> All right. It was good to talk to you. You too, honey. Um, bye. 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 Mm -hmm.